morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you happen to be, and whatever day this happens to be for you listening to this. I am Trish Lambert. I am not Dave Kale. Um, and this is the Cell Film Project. What are we on? Episode 14 of, of 13. season four. 13. 13. Yeah. Wow. Of season four. Can you believe that? Well, Dave is not with us. I am Trish Lambert, the other co-host, the quiet one. And I'm here with uh, Corey Olson, the Tolkien professor, and a cast of dozens, I or some things um talking today a lot about stuff we're talking a lot about yeah. stuff we're, i guess we're going to wrap up a couple of things from last time but we're going to be really talking about creative content today so that's very cool exactly yeah so uh the 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 idea here today where this is one of the things that we're doing differently so differently that i totally forgot about it at the end of the last episode uh but i was delighted to be reminded because uh i, I really loved the idea the first time and i loved it just as much the second time i encountered it uh this is one of the good things about being forgetful uh is that when you come across an idea even an idea that you had this wasn't one of those but even an idea that i had you know and i come across it months later all the joy of new discovery (laughs) refreshed once again anyway so so this is great so the idea here is we're going to be talking about uh, uh creative content not reviewing so in the past We've done our discussions of the episodes, and then at the end of the season, we've reviewed the creative stuff that people have done in response to the discussions that we've been having. Um, What we're going to be doing differently this time, that's still happening, of course, uh, but we're going to have a a, a few kind of conversations earlier on uh, as we're going through in order to sort of... Uh, engage in a in a, a, a sort of a, a more open discussion on those things prior to the point. So, for instance, um, in times past, we've done casting calls for the different characters we've had, and we've had our discussions about what these characters are doing and stuff, right? We've had our plot discussions and everything, and then we do our casting call, and people nominate and elect uh, actors and actresses to uh, uh, to take those roles. And um, the... But the thing that we've never done before is that you often we will have the discussion about like, well, here's what we actually really think the actor or actress, you know, in that role should look like. But we kind of have tended to have that conversation after the nominations have already happened, which I was convinced very sensibly is kind of a backwards way to do things. So we're going to have these uh uh we're gonna have these discussions earlier on um this is so much more organized and logical a way to do things that it certainly proves to me in retrospect that it was not my idea (laughs) but anyway i think it's great so um so that's what we're gonna do today um uh one quick announcement just at the beginning before we start off keep in mind that myth moot is coming up we have entered the you know we don't schedule too many regional moots right around uh uh myth moot so we have this sort of myth moot halo in our calendar right this kind of buffer on either side so this we're entering the period of several months in which we have no other regional moot scheduled nader moot was our last one until like august or september but in the middle of this of course we have myth moot our big event of the year uh the end of june 27th through the 30th of june in leesburg virginia and I just wanted to let you know that we will have some exciting announcements in the next couple of weeks uh, about Mythmoot. Um, a lot of people have been asking, uh, when can we sign up for rooms? That's one of them that will be have that should be happening very soon. Uh, I'm hoping this coming week. Uh, and then there should be um, um, uh, there's going to be a, 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 a new thing we're going to do at Mythmoot this year, which I'm pretty excited about, but I'll explain more about that next week. So, uh, uh, big things happening. I encourage you to check out the Mythmoot page. It is always a wonderful, wonderful event as those can testify who have been there. Um, 
June 27th through the 30th, as I say, and you can find it at signumuniversity.org slash event. Find the MythMoot page there. All right. So, uh, actually, we're going to talk about the frame characters. But before we do, before we do, let me just go back to the title page for a second. There's a couple things that uh, we, we, we only talked about episode two briefly, but there's one conversation I wanted to go back to because there were some sort of requests to revisit this. And that is sort of the sequencing of things in particular. When uh, does Mithros acknowledge Fingolfin as High King? Um, so the way that I'd been talking about that uh, was um, that, you know, as it like, like Mithros abdicates, right? And then, you know, Galadriel is sent off to Doriath. Um, I admit that my own thinking on that was very, you know, higher up, that is, from a, a distance, right? I wasn't really thinking about the dynamics of episode two as a storyline itself. I was just kind of thinking in the abstract, right, about these events, as it seems to me that Galadriel going as an envoy to Doriath would seem to happen after Fingolfin has settled as High King, right? Like, he's probably the one who would send her. Um, because remember, we had that thing with Fingolfin and uh, Galadriel last season and the sort of tension between them, which got resolved. Um, and so I was thinking of kind of picking that up again. So I kind of didn't... I was assuming that Mithros, therefore, would not really be the one who was involved in sending her as an ambassador, so the abdication would happen first and the and her leaving would happen next. But uh, there's been some uh, discussion about that uh, and I wanted to kind of come back to that briefly. Um, if we want to do that differently, I'm totally open to ideas. In particular, there was the idea of kind of doing as a, as a main plot and subplot in parallel um, the you know, the Fanorian, Fingolfinian politics, right, among the Noldor, uh, which culminates in Mithros' uh, uh, um, abdication, and then uh, Galadriel's journey to Doriath and her arrival at Doriath. Um, the more I think about it, um, the more I think about paralleling those things, that is, the result of doing them in parallel rather than doing them in series would be to have the abdication of Mithros and the, uh, you know, Galadriel looking into the eyes of Melian and having her own kind of crisis of conscience happening almost simultaneously. I mean, like, you know, from the viewer's perspective, they would be kind of paired together there at the culmination of episode two. Um, so I, um, I think that sounds lovely to me actually especially if as i would as i was suggesting we demonstrate you know we suggest that galadriel's going as an ambassador to doriath is a symptom of her continued ambition right she's somewhat chastened after last season right she's learned something from her from her conflict with fingolfin but i don't think she's given up right it might have um it might have changed the way that she does things, right? Changed her approach somewhat, modified the way she's going to go about things. But I don't, I think that she still is 
wanting to rule a realm, right? And I think that she still has her, uh, she's still interested in power. Um, and she's just going to kind of go a different way about it. She's not going to try to step in. Um, we had in season three, her stepping, basically her believing that she could do a better job of leading the Noldor than Fingolfin was, right? Um, and really kind of putting herself in direct uh, competition with him. Um, and so we have her not doing that anymore, right? She's going to be a little bit, but but again, it's just a change of approach. She's going to be a little bit more devious about it. When she has her crisis of conscience, therefore, this not only is an important moment of introspection for her, this is not only her kind of wrestling with this, it also really, it's a humbling for her, right? As she begins to really kind of recognize some of the things that are in her heart, right? Um, so I like that. Um, and I, and so I kind of like the idea of the humbling of Goadriel, this sort of force, like external, like from her encounter with Melian, she is confronted with something which is sort of external to herself, but it's about herself too. Right. So, uh, and not to mention the fact that it's just, the more I think about it, the more I love the idea of Melian, like basically doing to Galadriel what Galadriel does to the fellowship when they show up. Um, I kind of like that. Uh, but anyway, um, so to have her be humbled, her humbling, her being humbled, right, by her confrontation with Melian and Mithros is humbling himself, right? It's not exactly the same, obviously. There are many different things about it, but to abdicate, you know, to to uh, acknowledge the overlordship of Fingolfin is a humble move for Mithros. Um, and so I holding those two things in parallel seems to me to make a, 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 a thematic sense. But if we do that, if we have Goadriel leaving in the beginning, um, we have to deal with, like, what exactly is her remit, right? And I can only see, if she does that, I can only see two logical reasons, like ways that we could contextualize that. One would be if Goadriel is just taking, on, taking it on herself entirely, we could ramp up her own arrogance, right? Her own uh, uh, presumption, even, by hatching this plan on her own. Like, she doesn't have to, like, sneak out in the night or something like that, but... Um, but, you know, that she kind of puts herself forward and says she's, she's just going to go do it. So she doesn't need any authorization from any old high king, right? Um, uh, so th that would be one option, right? The other option would be that Fingolfin sends her, right? Because, I mean, look, the question of, like, who is high king of the Noldor might be at issue here. Um, but um, at the same time, Fingolfin is in charge of the people in his camp of whom Galadriel is one, right? And there is nobody, nobody in Fingolfin's camp who is like, you know, I think we should really submit to the Feanorians. Like, they're obviously, rightfully, the bosses, right? And now that Mytheris is back, we should take orders from him, obviously. No one, like, literally nobody is saying that. So it would not be weird at all for Fingolfin and, you know, his folks over there to be getting together and saying, you know, hey, let's reach out to Thingol, right? We, do we even need to consult the Feanorians? They're not going to consult them, right? They're, you know, sort of practically um, uh, at war with them. And as Tony says, they also outnumber the Feanorians very significantly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, 
Yeah. In fact, one of the questions that I would have is the high kingship of the Noldor even a thing yet? Exactly. I mean, I know it, it is in principle, like Finway was high king of the Noldor, but think about it. In Valinor, what did that mean? Right? I mean, yeah, he was king, um, but the idea of high king, right? This is a new, this is a new thing, right? Um, yeah, Finway was king of the Noldor uh, back in back in Valinor, right? But they were all at peace. That it wasn't a demanding job being the king of the Noldor. Like it just meant he was the most highly respected of all the Noldor. I mean, like seriously, I don't think uh, I don't think that being king of the Noldor was exactly a nine to five, right? Um, but. Anyway, like when, so when Fanor, then when Finway dies and Fanor comes in, Fanor takes control, right? He takes his father's position. But when he then orders it, like says, okay, we're packing up and leaving, right? Everybody follow me. He is, he, Fanor is turning the kingship of the Noldor into something different that it really wasn't before, right? You could say that Finway was leading the Noldor into uh, Valinor across Middle-earth and there's, Certainly some true to that, but certainly among the Noldor um, and the, the, the uh, yeah, I mean, well, just focusing on the Noldor, certainly among the Noldor, that was, um, they, were, they were in consensus, right? I mean, like they, they all wanted to go. So, you know, he was the leader, but he wasn't asserting his will over them in the same way, certainly, that Fanor was when he said, okay, let's all leave now, right? And what's more, when he left, right, when he led them all to leave, one of the pitches that he made in his speech by Torchlight is like, hey, let's all go, we, there's wide realms, right, we can all rule. And so that seems to be where the the concept of High King comes from, right? You need a High King when you've got a bunch of other little kings, right, and you want somebody to still be overall in charge, right? But again, that wasn't a thing in Valinor, um, nor has it gone into implementation at all along the way, right? So we've had, we have, if you think, you know, think about it, there are three phases of Noldor kingship, right? Phase one, which is Finway at peace in Valinor, right? Then you have Feanor on the march, where he is, you know, through the force of his own will, leading and dominating, you know, the people to some extent. And, and that's like the this sort of modified, to use a, a gentle word, perverted, one could say, if what, or, you know, twisted, uh, if one were uh, in opposition to Feanor, uh, version of Feanor's rule, of Finway's rule, rather, right, as he leads the people. But now we're setting up in Beleriand, right? We're setting up in Middle-earth and, and there's wide realms, right? And everybody's going to set up and be and rule their own realm. Sure, why not? Why shouldn't they, right? There's all this land to cover. Now we need a high king, Right um, now, we need to make sure that some we, like it's it's still, we're not all hanging out, you know, in Tyrion anymore. And yet, like we still need some. There needs to be somebody who's calling the shots. There needs to be somebody who is the number one voice of authority, especially so that we can all mobilize and uh, be all marching in the same direction when we're trying to fight against Morgoth. Right. So the whole. So my, my suggestion about this is that the whole high king concept should not be one. I, the question isn't, so who's going to be high king now? The question is like, hey, we need a high king, right? Let's, let's work this out. What should this look like? And once we work it out, then the question is, who's going to be it, right? So in a sense, it's not Mithros abdicating, because to abdicate implies that like 
it was naturally his position and he gave it up. Um, uh, he was, of course, would be considered certainly by the Feanorians the presumptive candidate, right, for High King once that position was established. Um, but, you know, that's, uh, uh, that's, that's kind of the conversation that we can have, right? Um, uh, so, anyway, so the idea, right, is that um, we have... Um, the conversation, right? What's happening there in episode two is going to be the formation of the concept of high king. The reason all of this is the reason I got onto all this and thinking about all this is again thinking about what what is Fingolfin's position and how does he understand his own position right now? And remember, they're barely they're not talking to the Feanorians. They might be a little bit talking to the Feanorians now that Fingen is back. Fingen is probably talking to the Feanorians, right? Um, so there's some dis- there's some conversation there starting at the beginning while Mithros has been, uh, you know, recuperating um, from his injuries in the time that passes in between episode one and two. Um, but uh, we can... Though I don't think we have had his training montage yet, right? Um, I think we can still transition Mithros by having him still be physically weak uh, to show that he's still taking a while to recover, right? And then we can we can do his his training montage later on as he learns to fight with his left hand. Um, but anyhow, okay. So all of this is uh, what all of this means is again. I'm I'm kind of circling back around to Galadriel, right? Um, where would, at the beginning of episode two, before these conversations have had, what's Fingolfin's mindset and the mindset of all the rest of them, right? So if Galadriel and Fingolfin and presumably a couple others, uh, you know, Turgon, Finrod, whoever, um, are having conversations, you know, uh, so Fingolfin, Galadriel, Finrod, uh, maybe Fingon, maybe Turgon, are all hanging out saying, hey, okay, what we what should we do? We need to reach out. Um, are they going to feel like they're, you know, acting out of line, right? Would it seem weird? Does it have to be a power play? You know, is there... Is, I don't think so. I think it, it seems actually in this context pretty natural um, uh, for them to have the conversation to say we want to reach out. She wouldn't even have to be, like, the emissary of all the Noldor, right? I mean, she's just coming from them she is from you know from a noldor but uh it's not like they would be presuming that she is going to speak on behalf of the Feanorians as well as everybody else that's kind of not even on the table i don't even think they would think that um um i kind of actually think that even after the high king is, is the high, the high kingship is established they're not really going to think that way. Give, thinking back to the conversations we've had about kingship, right? Um, where what we see, I think, is not, you know, the elvish high king claiming to be able to rule over everyone else, but rather just he is the commander-in-chief when there's battle to be fought, right? And when there's not battle to be fought, uh, then they just all mind their own business and operate their own kingdoms. So, so I think it would feel quite natural for them to send her off. So, um, yeah, exactly. Tony, if she comes as something more like, you know, the personal herald of Fingolfin himself, something like that. Yeah, no, that's, 
um, she can come saying that she brings, you know, greeting from her, you know, from her uncle and her brothers. And yeah, I mean, that, 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 uh, that, sure, that all seems to make sense. Um, so in other words, if they do send her off at the beginning, even before the high kingship discussion really gets going in episode two, um, I, that doesn't, I think that we can depict that in a way which doesn't make it sound like a, a, crazy, inappropriate, power-hungry move, certainly on Fingolfin's part, even though we can show that Galadriel has um, motives, right? You know, that she has uh, uh, some kind of ulterior plan here. Um, so, anyhow, yeah, I think that's... Um, I think that that all works. Thanks for bringing that up. I really like that idea. Okay. Back to creative content. So, uh, the, our, our first um, casting question is uh, frame characters. So, we haven't talked about the frame much. We need to do that sooner rather than later. Um, and indeed, this is something I had almost forgotten about. Also, uh, the awesome frame concept that we had for this season. Uh, that is Bilbo going with Balin uh, to visit the Lonely Mountain on the seventh anniversary of the Battle of Five Armies and the conversations that could happen between you know, the meetings that can happen between the dwarves and Thranduil and Bard um, as they are celebrating the Battle of Five Armies um, and to the opportunity, the many opportunities to talk about the reconciliation theme. I still think this is a completely brilliant um, discussion or concept for the frame. So, so let's think this through. Um, who's involved? It's hard to do a whole lot of characters in the frame. One advantage that we have in this particular frame, should we want to include many characters, is that they're known, right? Um, we're not introducing characters like we were introducing characters among the Dunedain, for instance, back in season three, right? Um, uh, like we were introducing, you know, we had Goadriel and Celeborn and Arwen and then, you know, some un... Uh, other elvish characters that we were having to invent basically in season two. Um, here it's uh, a, a little easier in that pretty much everybody involved is uh, uh, known already. Right. Um, yeah. Um, now, Nick, you're right that we need to be careful not to spoil too much of the Hobbit storyline, but I mean, it's not like it's a secret, right? And in particular, I think, um, yeah. Hmm. I never even thought of the spoilers question uh, here. I don't think. Uh, I don't think that. I mean, I know that the end of the Hobbit comes off as a surprise, right? Um, question, I guess, is what... You know, so, Sorry, I'm thinking about like five different things at once. There is the surprise move. In the, right? As you're reading The Hobbit, there is the move for surprise. That it looks like the dwarves and the elves and the men are all going to get into combat. Like, shots have been fired already. And then all of a sudden, Gandalf pops up and is like, surprise! Goblins! Right? And then they're all about to lose. And then it's surprise eagles and, retrospectively, surprise werebear. So, um, 
obviously that's sort of uh that sort of a thing um it's uh to what extent can we assume that that's known kind of seems to me pretty clearly that that's going to be known i don't it seems it would it seems to me foolish um it seems to me foolish to anticipate that any actual surprise is going to occur um, when we get to this point in the Hobbit story, when we do the Hobbit story in 15, 20 years. Uh, I can't imagine that exactly. And if you think about it, so brace yourselves. And I know this is a painful experience for us all. But think about how Peter Jackson handled that. I know. Badly, but the point is the surprise element, right? On the one hand, he didn't, right? That is, he didn't. Um, uh, he didn't conceal like the goblins weren't popping up as a surprise. Like the fact that the battle was going to be against the goblins was not the surprise. Um, and so he didn't attempt to recreate that where like we thought the battle was going to be the battle of the horrible civil war of three armies. And instead it turned out to be uh, the bigger, though more desperate battle of five armies. He didn't try to replicate that exactly. Um, he had the tension and stuff, but, it was kind of known that, I mean, it was known to the viewers, certainly that the goblins were on their way. Right. Um, but he did clumsily try to recreate surprise elements. Right. And in this case, the surprise element that he tried to recreate is how they got there and how quickly they got there. So they still popped up through the tunnels made by the ridiculous sandworms um, in unexpected places and in, at an unexpected time, right? So that, um, and, and again, I'm not even going to be talking about uh, my judgments on that, but the point is, when you look at what the story of the Battle of the Battle of the Five Armies movie tried to do, was they tried to preserve... Uh, they didn't try to preserve exactly the same surprise that uh, the story uh, did. And then they didn't, but they did try to make it kind of surprising, right? Hakan, uh, and I think the sandworms surprised all of us, right? Um, so, anyhow. Um, A couple of you, Robert uh, and uh, Marie, are referring to the business about Thorin's death. Um, I don't... Hmm. I guess I didn't have Thorin's death in that same category. I mean, it was... It's unexpected, and it is in some ways, and it is kind of sprung on Bilbo, right, when he awakes... But I don't feel that the death of Thorn is like a surprise ending, right? Um, nor do I think that the death of Thorin... So, spoilers, right? The concept of spoilers, I mean, like, the, the reason that the word spoil is used to describe those things is that... If there, you know, that, you know, in some stories, right, in some plots, if there are details about how things are going to work out that you know in advance, 
it undermines the story and makes the story less enjoyable. That's a fact, right? I have always thought that stories which can be spoiled by having things about their resolutions revealed in advance are second-rate stories. Um, Not horrible stories, but second-rate. I think that the first-rate stories are the ones for which... Oh, Trisha's back. How are you doing? Oh, well. Um, I think that the... uh, uh, Oh, wait. Hang on. Maybe Trisha's back. Um, I'm back. Oh, you're back. Okay, cool. Um, I think that the first-rate stories are the ones who, like, the emotional impact of the ending of which is only uh, um, is only increased by knowing what's going to happen in advance, right? I mean, a, a Shakespearean tragedy is none the worse for knowing that the protagonist is prohibitively likely to die at the end of the play, right? Um, so, I and I've always thought that anticipation is many times more powerful, uh, has more powerful an impact in storytelling than mere surprise, than the mere withholding of information. Um, so anyhow, um, I, um, and the death of Thorin seems to me of all the things which could be spoiled by previous information seems to me the least spoiled least prone to spoilage of any of the things that happen at the end of The Hobbit. Um, If you know that Thorin is going to die, like, if what you know is that Thorin's death happens, I don't know that the story is reduced. In fact, I think that the story can be increased. We don't necessarily need to know how Thorin dies, right? We don't have to reveal the whole story. We can save some story to tell ourselves. But again, the mere fact that he's a corpse at the end of the story doesn't seem to me to be a, a piece of information which in any way undermines the experience of the story. How can exactly Thorin's redemption is the interesting part? And exactly like that he is redeemed and the way in which he is redeemed, that we needn't tell, you know, a sort of unsatisfying and partial version of that story in our frame. And therefore it wouldn't be... Uh, um, it wouldn't be, and frankly, I don't see how we could do this frame without referring to it. I mean, like how on earth are we going to have a seven year commemoration of the battle of five armies without me- anyone mentioning Thorin's death, uh, or seeing Thorin's tomb? I mean, that, uh, seems a lot to ask. Um, so yeah, no, I think, um, uh, yeah, um, Yeah. So no, I, 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 I think we can definitely, I think that we can definitely deal with that. We don't have to make it a huge central talking point, right? They don't have to dwell on it a whole lot. Um, so I mean, one well, of the they don't even necessarily need to mention that the tomb is Thorin's, do they? I mean, yeah. I mean, we don't have. To... I, I do think our, I do think fans would have probably a problem with this. You know, when we air the thing, they'd right. be like, "Yeah, naturally, you spoiled it." But I, they don't necessarily have to mention it. I mean, they could be stand, you know, leaning up against the marble tomb or whatever and chit-chatting, but not mentioning that it's Thorin's tomb. Yeah, I mean, certainly, we don't have to have them talking about Thorin. We certainly don't have to have them recapping his story or telling the story of his heroic 
unexpectedly heroic death. We don't have to have any of that spoiler spoiler stuff, right? right? That stuff right. which does, you know, point to exactly where the story of The Hobbit ends, right? But acknowledging that he's, I mean, because also keep in mind, it's a long ways down the road, right? People who know the story are going to know the story anyway, and we don't have to worry about about yeah. spoiling things for them. So if there's a reference to Thorin who's dead, yeah, everyone or who die, knows the Like Bree says, Dian is king under the mountain, right? I mean, yeah. that's part of the frame, right? So, yeah. So by inference, <laughs> somehow or another Thorin is dead. He may not have died at the battle, but... right. You right. Know. You know, having so being there, uh, uh, you know, acknowledging that Thorin is dead, you know, remembering Thorin uh, uh, being there, showing his tomb on screen. I don't think that any of those things spoil anything important um, about um, uh, about the the story, really. Um, yeah. Um, Yeah, Nick is asking me what I would I rather know or not know which of the Avengers are going to die next week. But see, Nick, it depends entirely upon how they do uh, how they do the the story, right? Um, if they oriented this, if I if 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 they showed in the first scene the you know which one died, and then they had the whole story focused on the anticipation of that death and how that death is going to come about and the kind of impact it's going to have, that would be awesome. I'd be totally fine with that. Um, but again, the, the the problem with spoilers is that, you know, so many stories are oriented simply towards surprise and the withholding of information, you know. Um, and if that's how the story is oriented, then, you know, if that's the the, the premise of their storytelling, then, yeah, having the the final result revealed spoils it. But again, to me, that's not a problem with knowing information. That's a problem with uh, that particular kind of story. Um, but anyway, um, so. Yeah, anyway, um, Chris, I'm kind of thinking this, too. I mean, I, I think it's it's not a hugely impactful issue, honestly, because. <sighs> People who are still watching the film film show in season four, like, and still haven't read The Hobbit yet. I mean, there's going to be people, but, um, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, uh, so yeah, I, 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 I'm not, I'm not super concerned about this. Um, the more complicated issue, Marie, is the one that you raised about the question about playing coy about how the battle actually happened, right? Because we're going to have discussions among survivors of the battle, right? I mean, if we're going to have, you know, Dan and Bard and Thranduil, you know, sitting, uh, uh, having drinks, right, and reha rehashing the battle, it's going to be hard for it not to come out, right? That's going to be really difficult. The kind of grudges that are being held and why those grudges are being held. What needs to be reconciled, right? What, what, what is, is, is on the table for forgiveness? If we want to establish through this frame that those things all have happened and need to be reconciled and need to be forgiven. I, um, um, uh, you know, I, 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 I don't think that, um, it's gonna, it's, it's gonna be hard not to, not, to, I mean, it, 
it seems to me that if we're really concerned about spoilers for the Hobbit story, I don't see how we can do this frame. I really don't. I mean, I'm prepared to do this frame because I'm not troubled about spoilers. So like, I'm not saying I object to it. I'm just saying I think if you do object to spoilers, I can't see. I mean, maybe you can see. And, and I, uh, you know, um, it's fine. And, and, you know, no, Chris, I'm not saying that we actually want to retell the battle blow by blow. I'm just saying, like, if they're all getting together, the near conflict, right, between the dwarves and the elves and the men, right? Um, and there's still going to be some bad blood there. So going to be discomfort. Um, they've moved past it, right? So they're kind of modeling the moving past it. But there's there's not not everyone will have forgotten it. Right. So if they're going to ever talk about what it is that the, the, what they have moved past or still need to move past, how do we do that? Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, that is the purpose of this frame, right? Is to show that. Yeah. That's yeah. the core of it. The Yeah. Exactly. No, I, I don't um, have so a problem. Hakan, I agree. Hakan says we should have avoided the frame altogether if we wanted to completely avoid spoilers. Right. I agree. Exactly. And it's partly my uh, uh, very broad-based not caring about spoilers. And here's the other thing. It's not just that, in general, I, I, I think that like stories that uh, uh, are premised upon surprise and are spoiled by spoilers uh, are second-rate storytelling. I, I do gen generally believe that. But it's more than that here. The things that we're spoiling, right, in the frame are things from the books, generally, right? Um, and, you know, the books, in fact, contain a large number of spoilers for the stuff that we're talking about uh, in the um, in this series. And one of the things which has, for me, been kind of a premise from the beginning, yes, the story should be able to be followed by people who have never read a Tolkien book in their entire life. But... You know, let's be wholly blunt. That's not the audience I'm planning this for. You know, it's not the audience I personally have in mind as I'm going through this podcast, right? The audience I have in mind, the purpose of this podcast in large part, right, is to get people who have read The Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings engaged with the Silmarillion, right? If I had in one sentence to say, what is my purpose in spending the, you know, dozens and hundreds of hours we've spent already in doing this podcast and, and are preparing to spend over the next several decades. That's my purpose, right? My purpose is to get people who know The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings engaged with the Silmarillion, right? And I still believe that that is primarily the uh, audience that we would be engaging with were this produced. Um, uh, uh, so whatever. Anyway, the point is... Um, uh, again, this is, this is my motivation for doing, for, for doing this podcast. The reason I like the trailer, or not the trailer, listen to me. The reason I like the frame, right, is that it provide it's, and one of the, one of the points of it from the beginning, right, was the way in which it roots the story. It links the story to this, the Tolkien stories that are more well-known, right? And to the characters that people can connect with. And I think this is true, uh, whether we're talking about Tolkien readers or whether we're even talking about film watchers. Um, people who haven't read Tolkien but have only seen the movies. So, 
I think it's I think it's fine. Am I saying that you know we should not be thinking you know that we're designing this only for Tolkien fans and shouldn't be thinking it? No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I'm not troubled. I'm not going to lose sleep over spoilers, spoiling things that Tolkien has written in his books, right? Because you know that's all out there, uh, and I uh, uh, and uh, again I'm just I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lose a whole lot of sleep about like people finding out. Uh, shockingly, you know, somebody somebody leaking the fact that Thorin Oakenshield dies at the end of The Hobbit. Like, that's that's been out there, right, for a long time. Um, well, I think, you know, I actually think that w- what's required is just some really deft story in the frame, you know, dialogue and story. I mean, I do think there's a way you can kind of skirt the edges. Like I said, you don't have to mention him by name. You can commemorate the Battle of the Five Armies and not I don't know, you know, you just don't, you don't like, like, where's Thorin? You know, or you don't do that. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. But I do think, I think we could still do it and still stay with the fantasy that we're designing this for an actual audience, sure. you know? No, and I do I think, think it's fine. It. And I, I agree. I, I think it's, you know, the end of the Battle of Five Armies, but I think the, with some really creative dialogue and creative, you know, way that you, let that thing unfold. I don't, I think spoiler, you know, the spoiler percent will be low. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, I, I, I'm, yeah, we certainly don't need to give people dialogue hooks. Like, so, you know, you know, Bilbo coming in and being like, so, uh, I was unconscious for half the time. Tell me again about Thorin's climactic charge, right? Like we don't need to do that. Who would need to do that? That's exactly. Not, that's exactly. Not I mean, you could do stuff like, you know, we're here to commemorate a, a you know, significant event. Yeah, you absolutely. know, you don't need to get into a play by play of, John, remember when we did this and remember when the yeah, Eagles came yeah. and then, and, you know, you don't do that. Exactly. And there's no need for that. You know, you don't even necessarily mention that, you know, it's dying. I, you just, it's like, it's seven years later. We're into everyday life seven years later and they're commemorating an event. And so they would talk, they wouldn't talk in that kind of a detail. So, uh, I no, think it's, it's but again, doable. I don't, and think then the we people who to... know the story know it. And the people who don't know the story aren't necessarily going to catch on yeah. to the stuff that they would, yeah. you know, so. Sure. Um, we we just need to make sure that it's explicable. Um, Robert Brand says, so we're resolved we're not casting Thorin for a full flashback of the death scene. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's not going to happen. Um, well, let me think about this for a second, though. What are the issues? We want to talk about reconciliation and forgiveness, Right. What are the issues? They're lingering issues. There's got to be some dwarves who are still holding grudges, right? I mean, there's got to be issues. I would think so. Um, I would think there still would be, yeah, factions and things like that. Yeah. Are there... So let's just, for a second, imagine ourselves seven years forward and imagine what what, what has happened. What um, are, there, are there still some open wounds? I've got to think that the elves and dwarves are still not 100% reconciled at this point. Right. By the way, we're not going to do the Thranduil necklace thing, right? I mean, that's not a thing. Oh no! What the thing that Jackson brought yeah, up and that then was, dropped? Borrowed that from Thingol because we're going to, yeah, you know, that, yeah. Like the Somebody said that the other day. Um, you know, it, this the lore thing about how people confuse the lore, and somebody said that. And I'm like, 
dude, first of all, Thranduil's not even named in The Hobbit. Second of all, he doesn't actually physically show up in Lord of the Rings. And third, there was no necklace. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. Um, Actually, now that I've interrupted, Tony said, speaking of spoilers, are we going to bring up the ring at all? No. Why would we bring up the ring? These guys don't really know that much about it. To tell you the truth, in this part of Middle Earth, I think from a, like, even during the war part, it wasn't that significant a factor to these guys' yeah. lives. Does that yeah. make sense? I mean, yeah. it's just, they were kind of off on a side stream of the whole thing. And I would think, um, so the only people who know about the ring, right, are Gandalf knows, right? Um, the other members of Thorin's company know, right? Balin knows about the right. ring. Um does Dayan know about the ring? Does Thranduil know about the ring? Uh, Bilbo, I mean, even that is a little unclear in the text, right? Bilbo admits that he was burgling from Thranduil, right? When he gives him the 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 the, the necklace, right? When he gives him the that necklace, which is then elevated by Peter Jackson into this bizarre plot thing. Um, <laughs> uh, but anyway, like you know, so when Bilbo pays him back uh, at the end. Um, you know, even a burglar has his has his feelings. He doesn't say anything about the ring. He doesn't say how he did it. Right. In fact, he seems based on his words to the Elven King at the end, Bilbo seems to be willing to leave Thranduil to believe that Bilbo has is just such a cunning burglar that he actually lived without an invisibility ring in the Elven King's halls for weeks and was never detected. Right. <laughs> you know, like that's kind of. I, um, yeah, Chris says, I have to believe Thranduil might suspect something. Me too. <laughs> Me too. I think he does, but I don't know that he knows what it is, right? I, yeah, I, it's, it's not the ring. Right. right? It's not well, he certainly ring. would. He certainly doesn't suspect that. But even does he sus- yeah. specifically suspect he has a magic ring, right? I don't know. Oh, like, right. That he has some kind of magic. But of course, keep in mind, Thranduil, has Thranduil ever seen a hobbit before? Maybe oh, that's he true. has. He's not that far from the garden field. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, the point is, like, maybe he thinks there's some kind of magic that this hobbit has which enables him to, well, like, to do this he knows bjorn can turn into a bear Who exactly. knows what, hobbit what could be more likely <laughs> than that this strange little dude turns can... into a shrew <laughs> who knows it could happen right hobbits could be some hobbits could be where shrews you can't rule it out uh yeah yeah so um Anyway, yeah. I, I, so, is he suspicious? Yes, but does he know that about the ring specifically? No. Um, in fact, I think it would be kind of funny to have a scene where Thranduil is like trying to get it out of Bilbo. Like, so how did you <laughs> manage to avoid detection in my halls? You know, and Bilbo was like, "That would be telling, right?" Uh, you know, <laughs> professional secrets. Oh no, Tony has it exactly right. He would, of course, be a were rabbit. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no question. That's that's completely correct. Anyway, point is, um, Thranduil doesn't know. I don't think I don't think there's any reason, necessary reason, to believe that Thranduil knows that Bilbo has a ring of invisibility. Um, and I think it would be kind of fun to keep the the actual fact from him, even though he suspects that there's some magic that he has. Does Bard know? Why would Bard know? Bard and Dan, neither one of them would know, right? They weren't in Bilbo's confidence. And as you said, Trish, it doesn't have anything to do with what happened. Bilbo put on his ring to go talk to them. It didn't impact their lives. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's just a distant thing. Yeah. 
I mean, they would have heard new, you know, they maybe, yeah, no, they wouldn't. Seven years after, yeah, no, he yeah, wouldn't. They wouldn't. How would he who, know about? It? Who know would about know? It? And Legos yeah. wouldn't know, right? Legos doesn't no. know anything until he gets to the uh, and the Council of Elrond, right? It's news to it's all news to him at that point. Um, well, I mean, let seven years Gandalf isn't even sure, right? I mean, right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's got nothing but a dark suspense, a shadow that has fallen on his heart at this point. Right. Uh, right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and when you think of even the the reference when the, um, when the Nazgul or you know when whoever it is, right, quite possibly a Nazgul shows up at uh, the Lonely Mountain uh, to seek for Bilbo, right. Um, that message that they bring that, you know, that Glenn right, brings right. To, the, to the Council of Elrond, right, about how they came with threatening words and were seeking a ring, the least of rings, right, that once he stole. I, I think it would be pretty cool if most of the dwarves were like, wait, what? You know, I, I, does Bilbo have a ring? I don't know. Because remember, Glowen's yeah. message was, you know, they're looking for you, Bilbo, right? Um, even Glowen, I think, doesn't, although Glowen knew that Bilbo had a ring, um, doesn't understand like what the deal is and why he's looking for that. Exactly. Um, yeah. Here's a question. Here's a question about the ring in this frame. Do we see Bilbo use the ring? Or do we just ignore it entirely? I feel like it would be a bit of an elephant in the room thing if we had Bilbo in possession of the ring. If we're going to talk about spoilers. <laughs> and never allude to it and never oh, have him yeah, never use true. it. Right? That's true. People would wonder. Yeah. But maybe we do that. Maybe that'd be fun. You know, maybe it'd be fun to uh, uh, to have that happen and people always be you know have like a big portion of the audience always expecting that bilbo's going to take out his ring and use it at any point and he never does never alludes to it it never comes out <laughs> never comes up in conversation um he could just have his his hand in his waistcoat pocket a whole bunch there are lots of ways we can toy with people <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right uh um yeah exactly yeah. tony said it we, we show him playing with it in his pocket and dark looks by gandalf Yes, yes. We can try to depict the shadow on Gandalf's heart, right? Uh, as he's not sure exactly what's going on here. Um, uh, yeah, what if yeah. Gandalf could say to Bilbo, what have you got in your pocket? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it would be funny if somebody Talk delivered that line. Shadow, huh? Oh, yeah, that'd be hilarious. Yeah, yeah he's, got, he's, got, he's got his hand in his pocket and Gandalf says, what have you got in your pockets? Oh, that's hysterical. I love it. Love it. Oh. Um, okay, sorry. Uh, uh, Maria is pointing out very rightly that I'm not making much progress in the casting discussion. But this is, we, we, we needed to talk about the frame anyway, so it's all good. Um, we haven't made much of a plan about the frame here, but at least we're kind of ironing out what is and is not going on. But wait, so, and and... All right. Let me conti- let me continue on this one line of thought, which is going to lead me, though confessedly, indirectly, back to the casting question. Back to my question about who's holding grudges. What's the atmosphere, right? How does this all work? So we want to get to the point where the dwarves and the men of Dale are on really friendly terms again. Right. 
and where peace has been restored. We get that little glimpse, right, from Balin's visit at the end of The Hobbit, right, of peace being restored and old relations mm -hmm. resuming, yeah. right? Um, th it's important that that story ends with a glimpse of things going back to the way that they were in, uh, almost, right, before the dragon came. Um, one thing I would point out, though, is that that's when The Hobbit was a freestanding and completely self-sufficient little fairy tale right and so having almost everybody and live happily ever after um you know made more sense in that context this was not the you know beginning of a long and troubling period of middle earth history uh there um so uh we could choose therefore to have things be a little bit in practice, a little bit less idyllic than they kind of sounded, right? It's maybe not quite as simple as that. In fact, certainly if we're going to be thinking more about this storyline later on, and I don't see why we wouldn't, um, you know, when we get to this part of the story, if we want to build up to eventually in, you know, season whatever, 60, um, <clears throat> if we... Um, if we get to, um, uh, if we get there, then uh, we would presumably want to have the final battle in which Dan and Brand are killed. We would kind of want that to be um, the place where they're. I, that would be to be a, a culminating moment, right? Um, we would maybe want some drama there. Um, Hmm. I mean, you're thinking, you're thinking men and dwarves. I was thinking dwarves and elves. Well, the dwarves and elves, that seems to me a given, right? I mean, there is no way that the dwarves are going to uh, just forget about the fact that Thranduil A held the dwarves captive unjustly, right? And B then tried to, like, horn in on their treasure. Uh, when he thought someone else had conveniently killed the dragon for him. Um, so his greed, which he was greedy, guilty, right? Thranduil guilty as charged on the greed front uh, and holding the dwarves unjustly without trial. You know, you can make out a case. A prosecution lawyer could make out a pretty good case there, right, against Thranduil. And if you're a dwarf, I don't see how you don't hold grudges for both of those. And things. I can see Thranduil still being unrepentant about that. Tony and Maria both brought up, why, what if we see the beginning of the unrest of Balin that would lead him back to Moria? And if that comes up, I could see Thranduil saying something like, oh, and how do you plan to get there? <laughs> oh, man. You know? Yeah. Yeah. The idea that... Because, of course, one of the... One of the questions is, what is the dwarves' motivation to reconcile? They need the men of Dale to some extent, right? They I mean, they commerce, talk, right? Yeah, commerce. in commerce. I mean, that's. Do they need the elves of Mirkwood? You know, couldn't they just be like, you wood elves, you enjoy your isolationist selves over there. We don't care about you um, because we have the men of Dale and of Esgaroth, and we're going to trade down the river and it's fine 
right? Well, yeah. you know, it could be the men end up being sort of the sandwich filling. You know what I mean? They're like the, they're kind of like the Switzerland <laughs> for both sides. You know what right. I'm saying? Because actually, sort of the elves are also doing business with the men of Dale. I yes. mean, that's uh, gross. Yeah. So, um, uh, so the Lake Town and the Dale men become kind of the, what, you know, lubricant, the sh- the shield. Yes. In the two. And, yeah, exactly. and, and really the dwarves and elves have never really reconciled totally. They're just sort of in an uneasy truce situation. Right. right. Exactly. So then if we had, if there is a desire to achieve some kind of reconciliation through this, um, event, right? Through this commemoration, it would be initiated by Bard. Yep. Or, I mean, like, by the men. Anyway, it might, needn't be right. Bard personally. Um, yeah. Um, by the way, um, so Dick was saying, so you're saying that they wind up needing the elves to let a large contingent of dwarf bound for Moria through Mirkwood. Yes, they would. But, you know, back to what uh, Corey was saying, I think Balan's solution to that when the time comes would just be to play on Thranduil's greed. So right. he'd just buy his way through Mirkwood when the time came. Or we, <laughs> so it's an easy, easy peasy. <laughs> except that they wouldn't want to do that or feel like they should do that or had well, to do that. But the, tie, the dr- drive to get to Moria might overcome, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, oh, this is a small irritant we have to do, you know just to get there kind of thing. I mean, how else would they get there? I don't know. Yeah. Oh, I remember. Wait a second. The Lonely Mountain is the gateway to Angmar. I forgot they could go through Angmar. <laughs> Sorry. Wouldn't be too oh, hard to create the, some the reasons that would make that uncomfortable, right? Jackson. Gateway to Angmar. Gateway to Angmar. <laughs> well, all right. Anyway, that's now, way down the line, so Hawkins back to says, casting. Yeah. Hakon <laughs> says, it's a pity we don't have men in the main story if men are going to be the diplomats in the frame. I was thinking about that too earlier. I thought, geez, well, we're almost like a little premature with this frame. Well, yeah, but the, thematically, it works really well. doesn't mean we couldn't come back here. We could certainly come back to this location as a frame at another time in the history, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um. um I actually kind of don't mind it as a as a bit of an anticipation, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like, look, we've had humans in almost every frame so far, right? That's so true. it's not like yeah. it's not like spoilers. Humans exist, right? Like, like that's uh, so. Oh, and I was thinking of it as the you know how we did the frame like when we had Estelle learning, and then that was kind of the way we right. leveraged and are when we leveraged. And, yeah, you know, I think that's probably what Hakon's saying, too. You know, there's all these future stories to come in the Silmarillion with the men. But that doesn't mean we can't come back here. It doesn't mean that we can't have men in this frame. Uh, because I don't yeah. think – it's not like we're going to be – it's not like we're going to be dealing with the men, really kind no. of anticipating the issues we're going to be having with the men in the next season, I don't think. Right? Right. Um, certainly the position that the men are in here – is nothing like the position the men are going to be in in season five. So no. we're not really anticipating that. Um, I mean, I'm thinking we can come back to this, uh, this location, Dale, Esgaroth, Erebor, when uh, Turin is dealing with his own little dwarf. Hmm. You know, yeah, later, later, later. Maybe. I mean, that's, that's kind of the parallel that we could, you know, but that like, just because we're using this now doesn't mean we can't use it later in a different way. Frame wise. I make is that clear? Yeah. We can always come back to Lake Town, Dale, Erebor. Yeah, yeah, I know we always way. could. Um, 
Well, how can I agree that in a sense they're going to be central? I've always felt that they should be hosting it. Um, Dale should be the, the site of the get-together, right? Because mm-hmm. the elves aren't going to want to go into the Lonely Mountain for fear that they maybe possibly won't come out. <laughs> and Which, the... by the way, also makes it possible that we don't even have to have Thorin's Tomb around, so that's good. True. Yeah, we wouldn't see Thorin's Tomb unless we wanted to have Bilbo making a field trip, which he certainly would. I mean, Bilbo is obviously going to go into the Lonely Mountain while he's there. Right. Uh, but whatever. Um, we can... Um, but yeah, so so Dale will be the location. So they'll be the hosts, Hakon, and therefore central, but I don't, um, I don't think, thinking of them as diplomats, I don't even think it's diplomats so much like as hosts, hosts. Right? Yeah, like hosts. hosts. They're, yeah. they're, 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 they're hosting the party and they're inviting them and they're kind of sort of friends with both. But I don't think we're, we're, what we're seeing is an active diplomatic move or, um, you know, I think it's, uh. Yeah, they aren't arbiters. Exactly, Nick. That's not the role that I see them playing. Um, and it gives us and a as guests, good excuse you know, to show... If, if they're the hosts, then yeah. as guests, all of those people, Balin and Diane and Thranduil, have to behave themselves. Exactly. That's kind of part of the code of being a guest. Exactly. So it's not like he's negotiating with them. He's like, wouldn't it be great to get everybody together in a place where, like, and under circumstances in which, like, they are all honor bound not to fight with each other. Right. Um. And this won't be a red wedding. <laughs> no, this will not be a red <laughs> wedding. That is so not happening here. Um, yeah. Which actually would be kind of interesting because then you still could see the tension, you know, and Thranduil would say something like, well, I am a guest in your house and I must, you know, must not. Yeah. We must not continue this conversation because I can't be answerable for my actions or, you know, something that shows that there still is enmity there or, or actually be the other way around probably. You know, the dwarves would be being irritable yeah. about the elves. Yeah. So, I mean, as far as what, you know, so Hakon, whether or not the men are, act, are being active in solving some kind of issue, I, I think, I mean, that can be Bard's motivation. You know, he can he can want to bring folks together, you know, bring, you know, Dan and Thranduil together so that they can all talk together and he can hope for some kind of positive outcome from this because after seven years, Everyone is still well aware of the tension. No one more than the men, right, who are dealing with both of them equally and uh, uncomfortable about the tension that remains between them. So he knows. So, again, I don't think it needs to be a very active plot on his part. Like, I'm going to invite every I've got a great I've got a great idea. It's a seven year anniversary. Let's all get together. Uh, uh, you come to my house. You all agree to obey. And, you know, let's hope the thing I we'll that things move. Locks and bagels. <laughs> exactly. And as Marie <laughs> points out, Bard is not exactly like a flowery words kind of guy. You know, I mean, he's right. he is a grim, gruff man. Uh, and he's so he's not going to be speechifying. Right. He's not going to be, you know, making oily overtures in both of their directions and, and uh, uh, you know, trying to negotiate a, a peace treaty between them. Um and Marie also does point out that this is a story about re- reconciliation, but I'm thinking that that's the arc, right? I mean, we can have some form of reconciliation by the end of the yeah. of the season with the frame. What and how much, I wonder. Um, right. You know, Hakan is wanting some unsolved issues. And, and now I agree, Hakan, one of the things mm-hmm. that we're showing in this season, right? Uh, you know, when we were talking, when we were talking about a forgiveness and reconciliation theme this season, that doesn't mean we're 
the storyline story arcs of the season are about all everybody getting together and holding hands by the final episode, right? Some of the ways in which we manifest the theme of reconciliation uh, and forgiveness in this season is showing the people who will not forgive and who don't reconcile. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, I am perfectly fine with having an element of that in the frame. I think it would be a little bit disappointing if, there's no positive movement. I mean, we have some reason to think that there are positive relations many years down the road. So uh, showing a sort of a, a, a step in that um, in that process, I, I would want yeah. there to be some kind of process. Um, uh, somebody, I forget who it was, and uh, some of you can maybe remind me um, of the... Um, there was a, a move on the discussion board to involve, it was Marielle. Okay, right. It was Marielle to involve Bard's wife, uh, to give Bard's wife a, a prominent role. Mm-hmm. Um, she could be the speaking fine one. She's yeah, having her, be, having her be this, this sort of uh, uh, singer. And so the, She could be the lady of, was... with the cup, only for men. I yeah. mean, you know, yeah. non sax but that kind of thing. Lady of the Hall sort of. Yeah, she would be an important element in hosting, obviously. Absolutely. Uh, as the, I mean, uh, uh, not that the the bardings are exactly like the Rohirrim, right, or following Anglo-Saxon customs no. in the same way. But but still, there's you know uh, that she would have an important role there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and um, so now this is and Bard's son isn't Brand, right? That's Bard, Brand is a grandson, correct? Correct. Uh, and Bard's son, yeah. we don't know how old he'd be because he could actually play a part, but he would be early teens, probably. At this point, yeah, we don't know to what extent he existed in the Hobbit, um, but yeah, I'd probably make Ban a teenager. Yeah, I would think you know, Something like because like he was probably maybe like six or seven at the time yeah. of the battle. Otherwise, he would have been fighting probably. Yeah. Yeah, now Tony is suggesting that we could possibly have the, like the rebuilding of Esgaroth uh, be the setting, and therefore the new master of Lake Town be the host. That that idea has some merit, and I certainly think that we should have a scene or oh, two down there. You know, like we should yeah. definitely involve Lake Town, and it'd be kind of fun to meet the master. Hey, look, we already have a long list of characters, and the master of Lake, the new master of Lake Town, is not among them. Um, <laughs> So, Marie, we're going to add more characters, and it's Tony's fault. Absolutely Tony's fault, so just remember that. Um, anyway, uh, but I, I I, kind of like Bard and his wife. Um, I, I think I would I would want them to be sent... Because the other thing is that the master of Lake Town is, more, is a much more minor character. Um, so to have this whole thing initiated by one of the sort of central core figures politically here... Um, is um is uh i i think that'd be better um so okay Who gets and you know wh- how um by the way back to bard's son just yeah. a quick side sure you know how we did this people will have forgotten it by season four but you know how we did this i think it was in season one where uh hob a uh, hobbit bilbo met estelle right didn't we do that where they had a little chit chat uh yeah mm-hmm we did. So, I mean, there could be something similar here in terms of that, you know, Bilbo, like, gets along really well with Bard's son. He sort of has an affinity. That could that could allow some interesting dialogue and mm-hmm. story. Mm-hmm. It uh, would be interesting. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that makes um, 
Bayon an interesting potential character in the frame is that it would be kind of fun to have the, uh, the perspective of a younger generation. Like, Bayon mm-hmm. would have grown up in the New World, like, post-Battle right, of Five exactly. Armies. That's he wasn't true. born after it, yeah. but, I mean, That's right. in the Battle of Five Armies yeah. happened when he was, what, you know, six, I know. seven, it's maybe? Like if- they have smartphones now, so you know. <laughs> exactly. You know what I mean. Uh, so, so the idea of uh, having somebody who can be a voice for, and especially remember, one of the major differences here, of course, the men are mortal and they change faster. So, mm-hmm. while the dwarves and elves are living a long time and holding on to this enmity, the men have moved on, like in every way. Like they've moved on as far as adapting more easily. Right. They've moved on in the sense of dying and having their children grow up. Right. So, um, you know, even that, like the the. I mean, it's only been seven years, so it's not like we've had a whole generation pass, and lots of the veterans of the Battle of Five Armies are still alive, obviously. But again, just to have somebody who is a voice like Bar. Bane has never known anything else, right? You know, of course he, he can. Yeah, that's true, and he can ask Bilbo questions about stuff. That's that he, how we can get Bilbo to give detailed explanations of everything that happened in the Hobbit. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, it all started with this like party that I wasn't expecting to have. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. No. I mean, I'm not saying we need to make Ban a major character, but I, just, I think no. there's some there's there's some interesting potential no. there. And especially I'm thinking towards the theme of reconciliation and forgiveness. He's going to have a different perspective on this, right? Um, yeah. And he is, in a sense, a like spokesperson for like that future into which Bard really wants everybody to move, right? Like in, in which this is past and a non-issue anymore that's right? true you know the whole enmity uh, between doors and us could confuse him and not he doesn't really understand Band. right uh, exactly he's like yeah. what, what's the and he's what's gonna the take it over i mean he's gonna have to move step into those shoes and right. not to disappear in terms of being the you know guy between the two but yeah so there's yeah. definitely yeah and i'm with Corey. we're not talking about making him a huge character it's just there's some possibilities there right i think by the way it would be cool if bard's wife was the motivator for the peace talks because Bard, yeah, I, I think, I is kind of... I, I think Bard would just be kind of impatient. I mean, I think Bard mm-hmm. is more likely to want to just knock their heads together and be like, you know, I have no patience for this ridiculous dwarf elf. Like, get over it, people. Right? We're past that. Um, and he's not a diplomat. Right? But for his wife to... For it to be... I, I don't know that we show the planning stages, right? But um, if this whole thing were kind of Bard's wife's idea... Uh, in the first place to have her um, th- I love the idea of having her have a very significant role um, Mariel's mm-hmm. vision there was that uh, um, uh, she is she, that she's this sort of singer storyteller like keeper of memories of the court you know and uh, and therefore a very prominent important figure within Bard's court uh, not just Bard's wife Um and uh, and therefore has great influence in what happens. I think that's kind of cool. I kind of like that too. And Bard, uh, it's kind of seems to me in order to be a good king, Bard is kind of probably need a little bit of help. Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, like, let's not get over the fact that, like, remember the first reaction of the men of Lake Town to Bard is rolling their eyes, right? Um, like he's. That was an element, I think, of Bard's character that, uh, surprise, surprise, in the Hobbit movies, Peter Jackson didn't do an excellent job with everything. Um, <laughs> uh, I, 
I, but I mean that what Bard's position is like, there are people who take him seriously. They know that he's trustworthy. They know that he's, um, you know, he's not just, uh, he's not just a wet blanket for no reason, but again, like he makes people roll their eyes. Like he's, he's always prophesying gloomy things and he's, he's, you know, negative about stuff. Kind of an Eeyore, right? He's like an Eeyore, right? A little bit. I mean, he's, he's, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, he he's 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 kind of a downer, right? He's, and uh, I don't think um, uh, he's blunt of speech, right? We see that even with Bilbo. I remember, mm-hmm. you know, when Bilbo was like, "My dear Bard," right? Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as Bard is doing his like, "I'm going to cut to the chase here." Uh, you know, are you? Uh, um, are you are are you betraying your friends or threatening us? Right? He's like, I'm I'm just going to cut to the quick here and get to the point. That's Bard, right? Um, anyway, so as Marie says, as a king, he could use a bit of sunlight to balance him out. Exactly, right? Now, uh, somebody I, with a with a with a, a little more wisdom, right? A little bit more uh, people skills. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I think we'd have a little bit of a fine line. I'd I'd like us not to be doing the trope of the power behind the throne thing. You no, know, no, 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 being no, the no. Yeah. Front. So, we'd, so we'd want to kind of, you know, walk that line. And I, what I would, what I think, I think what would work would be to show a partnership. Absolutely. Know, yeah. Between the two of them, you know, not yeah. necessarily like everybody, they're, they're not like William and Mary, but, but there's a definite partnership there, you know, and maybe he's even softened a little bit. Since yes. Yeah. No, years. I am not suggesting a wife who like, you know, encourages him and gives him talkings to behind the scenes. Right. right? And like right. feeds him his that's lines to deliver stuff. in public. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, that's not, that's not at all. Um, yeah. Uh, actually we've made some, I think we've made some, some casting progress here. So we know Bard, you know, we need somebody gruff. Personally, I think Luke Evans was way too sun, sunny. I mean, I think somebody I'm, I'm picturing like, you know, like a unibrow kind of yeah i was just gonna say that uh luke evans is also too cute like he's he's yeah craggy i'm thinking craggy craggy something more craggy absolutely yeah he needs to look at like bard needs to be somebody who if you like walked around a corner you know in the grocery store and like walked into him you'd be like whoa sorry man uh let me step aside (laughs) and let you get pat yeah yeah like bard should have a face like that right um yeah and yet Unibrow. That's exactly. That's ex- like he needs to have like a heavy forehead, right? Yeah, and he'd be able to do forehead. that, like really dark and dark. You know, dark, 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 dark. Yes, so, yeah. very dark. Agreed. Um, yeah. Now Tony suggests that what if Bard's wife is an analog uh, of Melian and her role? I, you know, Tony, I hadn't oh, articulated that to myself, but I think that's kind of what I was imagining to myself when I was uh, uh, when I was thinking of her role. Um, unconsciously i think i don't want to parallel it too closely because this is a human culture and so it's different from the elves and how they work and thranduil and or sorry thingle look at me actually accidentally mistaking thranduil for thingle how could that happen and um anyway so i I, i'm not saying that they're that you know they're they're obviously not the same in everything but anyway that's um now i also don't want to lose a point that bray made um uh this would now be if they have succession for women, the the leader of the Blue Mountain Dwarf. So she would be at this like as a emissary from the Blue Mountains, potentially. Yes. Now, the I'm not sure. Women issue. I'm not sure. Yeah. And I'm not sure that 
that's their succession model. Yeah. Um, no, me neither. Um, nor how exactly we want to handle this. I also um, was it hereditary? Well, it was somewhat hereditary. It is hereditary, right? But it's 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 patriarchal, right? It's yeah. I, Marie points out that she also fills the war widow role as she lost both uh, her brother, her brother, and both and her, her sons her son. in the battle. Yeah, um, true. Uh, that does give her a really interesting. And I use this word trying not to be offensive to dwarves, humanizing uh, influence, <laughs> right? Um, speaking of personal loss, um, there's nobody who could speak to personal loss in the Battle of Five Armies more powerfully than Dees, right? Who did lose her whole family in the Battle of Five Armies. Um, uh, yeah, exactly, Nick. That's the plan. The plan is to is to fridge Keely and Feely for Dees' benefit. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah. Um, uh, and Tony says if she's a leader, then that's an antecedent for Telcar. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, that's true. That's true. Yeah, yeah. And she's um, not a queen necessarily, right? She's not a queen. Right. Diane is king under the mountain. I don't know that there's a king or queen in the Blue Mountains. It's it's not really a kingdom per se. Yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a, more a, like a chief. Or you know, she's like yeah. Grace O'Malley. She took over as chieftain. No, seriously, she yeah. took over as chieftain from her father, and she right. was like a big pirate queen, right? So, right. Yeah, I, I have a big thing for Grace O'Malley. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it was like a Roman exile, right, over there in the Blue Mountains. Um, so yeah, 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 kind of a chieftainess. So if we made her a direct parallel to Telkar, like we could, she could be the sort of de facto leader because she's like the greatest Smith among them. Right. I mean, Oh, true. Why yeah. not? Right. So just out of, she could be a kind of chieftainess, uh, in that, and that would make sense as to how they would choose their chiefs. Actually, just like, because she's the most respected one among them, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, so mm -hmm. she comes, um, she'd come separately from Bilbo. Now, I'm not sure that she has a beard. Wasn't the women have beards? That was a movie thing, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Uh, yeah. I, though there's a reference that they don't look that much unlike the men. Right. So that there's not. Yeah. Uh, right. Making the joke about it's the beards was a film thing. Um, right. But. But Tolkien's description did leave that door open. I'm saying, you know, I mean, it's it's there. That's true. Uh, that is true. Um, yeah. Tony's saying, what if she comes at Gandalf and Bilbo's invitation? That is really interesting. That is really interesting. Um. Uh. Yeah. Um. Poor Marie. This has got to be frustrating her so much. We're talking more about the frame than we are about the cast. <laughs> We're getting there. We're getting, no, this needed to be done anyway. It's all good. It's all good. Sooner or later, we had to have these discussions. Yeah, I don't have any worries about it. I mean, we talk. You know, we can always extend the casting conversation. Well, and talk about the other things we have to talk about later. That's uh, right. Yeah. But anyway, absolutely. no, it's all good. Besides which, my plan is to be super efficient with everything else that we're going to talk about. So <laughs> that's, that's it. That always works out. Uh, okay. So 
I like the idea because if Deese is going to come from the Blue Mountains, right, then she's I mean. The blue she's going to come along the dwarf road, which goes right smack through the middle of the Shire. Right. So well, yeah, like Chris says, she should come with Bilbo. Right. What yeah. if it's Bilbo's idea to invite her? What if Balin comes to Bilbo to invite Bilbo, right? Balin ah. and Gandalf come to Bilbo to invite Bilbo. And Bilbo's like, hey, we should bring Dees, right? We should bring Feely and Kiwi's mom, Thorin's sister, right? Wouldn't she? Is she in the Blue Mountains still? And yeah, I mean, that would be cool. And since it's just yeah. the frame, it's not like we'd have to spend a lot of time on the long journey, you know, Balin, Bilbo, Gandalf, and Dees, right? Um, you could actually just cut straight to that scene of yeah, them being on get, the road. Yeah, we're only going to get a couple scenes, right? And we, we wouldn't want right. to protract the 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 journey. And as Bree points out, Deese is also Balin's cousin, so right. it wouldn't be like, um, "Hello, exalted craftsman of the Blue Mountains." Um, this random hobbit whom you may or may not have heard of is inviting you <laughs> to go on a super long journey with him. Would you, yeah. Balin can show up and, and, and they're related. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. Tony's suggesting that her showing up would then be a surprise to Dan and Bard. Um, yeah, sure. They wouldn't know she was coming. Um, Hawkeye is saying we could spend the whole frame in the Blue Mountains. Nah, no, I want to. I, I want to involve the humans, Hawkeye. I want to do it. I want. I want. I love the. I love the Lake Town idea. Um, okay, right. All right. Yeah. So let's let's see if we let's see let's see if we can do that. Um, so let's see. Apart from Bard, whom else? And by the way, I think that Bane should be less. I mean, obviously he's going to be younger, so he's not going to be able to be as like gruff and craggy as as Bard. But I think that he should he should look softer. Right, he should be. Yes, they, I agree. Yeah, like they will have his, his some of his mother's. Yes, you know attributes. So yes. lighter, you know, lighter coloring. Yeah, um, yeah. Still, maybe you know, still a maybe touch black of a hair, unibrow, but, maybe yeah. a little yeah. bit of a unibrow. I mean, you know, but, <laughs> just a shade yeah. of unibrow. Just a shade. Of unibrow. <laughs> right. This is kind of a few hairs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, so what, yeah. what should what should uh, what what would the we wife. be looking for? Yeah, in the wife, in the wife, I think we want to. Strong... I don't want it to be a mirror. I don't want it to be like super opposite. No, no, no. We don't want her to be like you know. This needs to be a woman who would actually be attracted to him, right? Yes, as he and, is, and not, so and not, you know, and this is not you know, like she's like the soft feminine side of Bard. Like, no, it's not like yeah, that. No, no. She's a strong yeah. character. She's just different. Practical, like, yeah, she just she just practical. has a, a, a you know a very different um, different strengths, right? Uh, yeah. And a, a different role. Um, but um, I could see her being practical, kind of brisk, but in a positive way. I mean, you know, like gets things done. You know, she gets things done. And I'm thinking like wise and penetrating and discerning, like really good at like, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, summing people up and seeing to the heart of matters. Um, oh, we can uh, do kind of a test conversation, kind of like, you know, Galadriel does with the fellowship, right? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Non-telepathically? Yeah. yeah. Non-telepathically. <laughs> <laughs> She's passing notes instead. Um, but no, yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, I, I mean, I think she should have something, but the, though... It's not a horrible parallel, Trish. I mean, something of Galadriel's presence, right? 
um, there should I, I I think that she should have something of it a more. Bart is intimidating. I have, a, I have an idea. Is there any reason why she couldn't come from someplace like Rohan? Where does she come from? Is she going to be a Dale lady or is she going to be somebody, you know, do we, what if do she's we have her like, be from? Somewhere? What if she's one of the woodmen? Ah. Or even like a Bjorning or something. <laughs> then we have to get into the question of whether she actually shapeshifts or not, which is an open question. Yeah. Um, yeah. What if she's a Bjorning? Yeah. That would be interesting, actually. It would be interesting. Well, I, I, by the way, what, is Bjorn going to be at this uh, party? Ooh, good question. That would be, yeah, that would be kind of an insult not to invite him, wouldn't it? Getting the whole band back together except for Bjorn? Yeah, is or it? maybe he couldn't come or something. I don't know. We could invent yeah. a reason for him not to be there. He could even be dead if we wanted to kill him off. I mean, and we, we don't need to bring Radagast into this, right? He didn't, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. He does live in Mirkwood, but, um, or does he live in Mirkwood in the books? We don't know where he lives, do we? So he may not. No, Ross Goble. No, we, uh, or, oh, that's right. Ross Goble. Yeah. You're yeah. right. I get confused. It's like, I don't, was it the book or was it in the movie? I don't remember. I don't see why we'd want to do that. Somebody could say somebody could say Radagast and Bjorn are off on some mission in Gundabad. Okay, so <laughs> yeah, Marie's saying we don't want everyone there. I agree. Yeah, We'd have a no, hard time I... if we just have like cast of thousands. You know, like yeah. if but if maybe we, there's if some we way we could explain Bjorn not being there. Yeah, you know, or but or we could. I mean, we could have be. We can have Bjorn bringing Radagast. I think is is. I don't think we should bring Radagast because he's no. not in the okay. Hobbit, right? He's alluded no, to, he's but not. he's not in the right. Hobbit. Um, no. So he's not part of the story here. No. Um, but can is we? There have any reason a, why? Can we have a frame that involves Radagast later down the road? I want to. Oh, I, I want to do some. Do I want to do something with Radagast. Now, I mean, we can obviously tell Radagast's story when we get to the Third Age, like that. I think is a given, but. Um, yeah. No, hopefully sometime, like when we, yeah, maybe, I don't know when, but we got to do something with, with, she could be Bjorn's, she could be Bjorn's daughter. That's kind of a stretch. Bard's wife. Politically, you know, it makes all kinds of sense. Politically, it makes enormous amount of sense. And it's a chieftain and chieftain, you know, it's a pure match. We'd have to make Ban younger. I mean, he'd have to be like six. Oh, that's of true. A teenager. Yeah. Presumably, Bard didn't have a chance to marry well, Bjorn's wife to la- or daughter to after. And you know, that's actually not a bad idea. He really, truly would be of the new generation. He'd be. He would be, but he wouldn't be a very completely. articulate member of the new generation. I mean, no. I, I have lots of respect for six-year-olds, but I've known several, and it, it would be hard. Well, how old was to... Estelle when Bilbo met him in uh, in Rivendell? Ten. This is the same ish. Oh, he's a ten. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Older than uh, uh, some of the presenters we've had at regional moots. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, I think it makes Bane too young. And I think, uh, I mean, it, make, it makes a kind of battle. sense politically. Yeah. But, uh, ooh, Tony is suggesting that we do Radagast. Ooh, we do Artho and Ale. I but that's like next that. season. No. Well, we'll see. We'll see. We'll think about yeah. that. Keep, um, it in, keep it in the back of your mind. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we don't have to make that decision now. 
that's a true digression. Okay. Um, I love Hakan's suggestion that there's another party in Ross Gobel at the same time so everyone can't come. <laughs> yeah, that's where Bjorn is. He's partying with Radagast. And he had a conflict. It, it was it was hard. Uh, <laughs> anyway, yeah. Okay, so let's bring Bjorn. Why shouldn't we bring Bjorn? Okay. Clearly, he'd be invited. Talk about unibrow. Now we really have a character that's unibrow, right? (laughs) Woo! How do we even do cast Bard if Bjorn has to be worse? (laughs) All we need is somebody who's like eight feet tall. Uh, And (laughs) so we'll just start with that. And uh, Bjorn could not come. I mean, he could refuse the invitation. Um. And everybody could kind of laugh about like the, you know, blunt bluntness and rudeness with which Bjorn refuses the invitation. Uh, yeah, um, that's true. That would be a lot easier because look at this list we've already got, right? We've had and we've added these to it, right? So, I mean, adding Bjorn, I don't see any reason not to just say. Geez, you know, not only did he not come, but you should have seen his refusal. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Okay. Well, we don't, we don't, we don't have to have Bjorn there. Let's see what people at the on the discussion boards think if they're if they're very yeah. pro Bjorn or, or anti Bjorn. And yeah, Nick will remind everybody that we're talking frame story here. So let's. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm willing to go either way with that. Um, okay, so. Kelleborn's sister. Right. We had wife. talked about we, how... we didn't resolve the oh, wife. We didn't thing. resolve so the wife. We... Okay, so wife, we want. So they're married. Be... They're married before the battle. They're married so before the battle. You know, right? Won't be Bjorn's. It won't be daughter. Bjorn's daughter, but that's fine. Um, she needs to be strong. I think she doesn't have to be gorgeous. No, I. In fact, I would think not. Or especially, like again, she's she, she's not girly, right? Mm-hmm. Um. I would think. I think that, the woodman's, you know, of the woodman is a good, a good idea because that would be. Yeah. Oh, Tony's really mixing it up now. Tony's like, what if she's an <laughs> Easterling? Oh man, no, no, no. That's that's one too many. I can't. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, well, this... and I would think, you know, the woodman too. It's like they would have, they'd have a lot in common that way, right? In terms of geographically and. Yeah. 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 You know. Yeah, so she'd be uh, very practical. Yeah, she could be. I still kind of like Marielle's idea about her being the sort of the singer and the. Uh, yeah, now Tony, I'm not sure. I want the reason I don't want the Easterling thing is because then we have the whole like the king, of, like you know, Brand himself is of Easterling race, and it could be interesting. But I'm not. I'm not sure. I want to go there. Um, but, um, yeah, <laughs> I think that's one too many for me. Um, especially since we don't have much time to like introduce stuff here. Like, let's not make it too ornate. Right. Um, we don't even have yeah, to talk about where she comes from. Obviously. That. No, no, we don't. And I think a lot of it, is, well, a lot of it's just backstory to yeah. help with the casting. So yeah. we just need, cause a lot of this, I mean, we're not going to talk about the fact that she's of the woodman in the frame. Yeah. Um, or, or even the fact that she's a storyteller singer, we're not going to talk about that. We may see her. We may show it in some ways. Show yeah. it. Yeah. But 
so a lot of the stuff we're going to be talking about is like backstory that we're actually not going to write into the story itself, but right. you need to know in order to cast the people. Right. right. Now, do we need Caliborn's sister here? Really? Is a Caliborn sister part of the party? We had that... talked about this. So we had mm. talked when we were talking about Caliborn's sister, who remember is the, uh, the, uh, the, leader of the narco syndicalist commune which is the uh which is the green elves um oh, that's uh, right <laughs> right <laughs> uh so, anyway um we, we we had talked about her being in mirkwood like she's like, right still around uh right, you know, in the third right, age right. and that she's ended up in mirkwood um and that which is what raises then the possibility because that's a sort of an interesting connection if we actually have one person uh from the main line storyline who is also in the frame, right? You know, we have an actual link uh, mm-hmm. between the frame mm-hmm. story uh, and she would be the mm-hmm. only opportunity yeah. for that. That's true. It's kind of interesting. Um, uh, so say, where have I seen this before? She could, she could muse. Hmm. Yeah. Let's go back to the reconciliation thing. We've got Thranduil and Legolas. I mean, I, I'm not leaving this that question, the Kelborn sister question, just coming at it from a different direction. What movement is going to happen? Um, is there going to be any progress towards the re- reconciliation of dwarves and elves? And the first thing I want to say to that is that it needn't be unified, right? We can leave with some dwarves and some elves still as grumpy as ever, but some dwarves and some elves not being, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it doesn't it doesn't have to be unified. We, know, we don't have to simplify mm-hmm. that. Um, uh, uh, yeah, so, um, uh, this brings up the Legolas question, which we shouldn't avoid. We've got an issue of reconciliation between elves and dwarves and Legolas has got to be there. I mean, we could contrive to send him off, but realistically, he's going to be there. Um, how do we want to play that? One of two choices, right? We either use it to lay the seeds for his friendship with Gimli down the road, uh, or we don't, right? Or well, we have exactly. him be opposed, right? Have him be... Is Legolas the one... Is Does Thranduil make some progress and Legolas is still stubborn? Uh, in his irritation with dwarves at the end. Well, remind me what's his demeanor and what's his demeanor in what's Legolas's demeanor in the book. I always get it confused with the with the movie. So, well, he's do we have does Tolkien really define his attitude, attitude. toward dwarves? Um, it's hard. It's hard because he doesn't not not get that many lines. You know, Legolas perhaps accomplished least of any of the nine walkers. Um. Uh, I mean, obviously, later down the line, they get into their little, you know, competition, and that's great, and they become great friends. I mean, I'm trying to remember, there's not really a lot of... Their friendship begins in Lothlorien. I mean, we don't get many yeah. interactions between them. Between, yeah, and there's it's, there's it's not like they overcome some kind of dislike or distrust of one another before that friendship, right? They're just kind of like nothing. They're just part of the fellowship. And then in Lothlorien, they start to form a friendship. Yeah, and there is that conflict, you know, the, yes, the line that Marie's recalling about the stiff necks of elves, right? But there, mm. see, does that mm-hmm. mean that Legolas is stiff-necked? No, I think it's Gandalf throwing Legolas's own words back at him, right? Um, 
uh, now let us say, right, um, uh, you know, about the, sti- the stiff necks of elves. Uh, I mean, the point that I think that Gandalf is making is like, you know, he's not being any more stiff necked than you are. Um, I think it's not a an indicator of Lan- of I almost said Lancelot. I've been doing too much Sir Thomas Mallory. Um, <laughs> it's not an indicator of Legolas's character. It's an indicator of Legolas's assumptions about dwarves, right? That he sees them as stiff necked. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And Chris, you're right. We learn almost nothing about Legolas in the Council of Elrond. Right. Well, yeah, that's as far true. as like his attitude and his perspectives. Um, uh, so it's hard to see. I mean, I think it would be an exagger. It'd be exaggerating the case like Jackson did. Right. If we have, if we bring in Legolas with like a fixed distrust of dwarves and then have Gimli win him over. I'm not saying it's a bad thing to do. We could do that. Um, well, he probably would have some degree because he'd be uh, influenced by his father, who has no love at all for dwarves. Right? Is there anyone living for the last seven years with his father? Move, though, who... well, that's. Well, I was going to say he's been living the last seven years with his father, totally justifying why he would have imprisoned all those dwarves. So you know, right? Right. Well, and it it, it might make perfect sense to him anyway. Um, yeah. <sighs> The only good dwarf is an imprisoned dwarf. It's an imprisoned dwarf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They have that like cross stitched on their throw pillows, you know, in Thranduil's, in Thranduil's palace. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh... Okay, but so here's my problem: Who's going to budge? If there's going to be at least one elf who budges, whom? Well, yeah, Tony makes a good point saying Thranduil might make the political move, you know. So, I mean, the reconciliation could be a political type, motivated by politics, not so much. I mean, he still, you know, personally would rather not have to sit down and break bread with dwarves. But politically, he understands that he needs to give way. So maybe there's still never been trade between the elves and dwarves since the Battle of Five Armies. Right. They've been at peace, but they've been in, in, in an unignoring each other peace. Right. Well, what they've been doing is buying the you know, elves have been buying the dwarves goods uh, through the men with a markup. So the right. men have been making out big time because they've been in which the case, Bart is motivated <laughs> not to reconcile the elves and dwarves. <laughs> the, the master of Lake Town should be like, dude, can we talk about this? This is That's a right. super bad idea. Wait a minute. Before we do this, I need a contract with both sides that I'm still going to be the middleman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The master of Lake Town in the background being like, no. <laughs> No, no, no. Oh, man. Um, now, yeah, Chris is right. You know, they, they are, you know, the elves of uh, uh, Mirkwood. I mean, it's not that far. You know, it's not been that long for them, mm. right, from Doriath. Yeah. They remember that. That's true. Um, Kelleborn's sister, as I think Marie was reminding us, you know, mm-hmm. she is, um, uh, she is... Not over fond of dwarves, right? You know, she she mm-hmm. she remembers the original conflicts between dwarves and green elves that we did in the beginning of season three. So, right. Um. 
Yeah. By the way, I like what Tony is saying. What if what if what if the issue is free movement through Mirkwood? Right, to open up the roads. Mm-hmm. And even for the elves to, to like keep the roads. Mm-hmm. Um We could have and Tony, that would well, literally pave the road for Balin to return to Moria. I was just thinking, like, at the end of the frame, Balin could say, I'm glad we did that because I have a trip in mind. Right. <laughs> that yeah. might come in handy at some point soon. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, Bilbo could make a joke about it, right? Well, this will certainly make it easier for me to visit you, you know, Balin. Right. And Balin's like, yeah, and it might facilitate some other things, and I too. Have a, I have another trip of my own planned. Yeah. That is a logical point of discussion, and it, it brings things away from purely mercantile trade agreements. Um, would and there be personal a cons- vendettas, you yes. know. Like- would there be a concession that the elves would want? So if we imagine that the frame ends with the establishment of some kind of treaty, right, between mm-hmm. the elves and dwarves, um, it doesn't mean that, like, everyone is friends with each other now. Um so there's still personal issues, but that they do achieve, like they are agreeing to work together in ways that they haven't before. What would the elves want from the dwarves? Double the um, ration of wine. More wine. <laughs> More wine. <laughs> More wine. Marie's t- yeah, suggests a toll road, which is interesting. Right, that they establish a toll road, so the dwarves will pay. Like they'll let the dwarves right. through, but the dwarves have to pay. Right. Um, that would be the simplest. Oh, that's right. The wine is from Darwinian. Oh, Marie, you're no fun. Um, yeah um, and Tony you're right movement through Mirkwood is why Thorne and company were imprisoned so in in addressing the issue of dwarves freely moving across Mirkwood they are coming right at the grievance right right Um, right uh, yeah yeah you could say you know Diane could say I don't want anybody else of my people imprisoned in your place yeah and it's true, as Tony is recalling the Bjorning's charge tolls, um, Glowen explains, right? So we know that the Bjornings are going to throw up a toll gate at the far end of the Dwarf Road. Um, <laughs> so, you know... Kind of uh, like going from New Jersey to Ohio or, you know, turnpikes. They could... So, I mean, you know, if we have... Also smithing, you know, there's some... I mean... Smith, right? There could be they, some. Thranduil still likes treasure, you know. I mean, yeah. he still wants That's what treasure. Chris is about gems, yeah, exactly. I mean, if the dwarves, I mean, if we're imagining a scenario in which the dwarves are coming to Thranduil, saying what we really want is to travel across your kingdom through the forest and not be molested, and Thranduil is like, what I really want is treasure. Both of them are really kind of touching exactly the sensitive points <laughs> right, that led to the problems in the first place. So that's kind of useful, actually. That you is know. Useful. Now, there also could be making weapons. You know, I don't know if we want to foreshadow anything. I don't know that Thranduil would necessarily feel the need for that. But, you know, I was just trying to think what would be what would be a, a Smith kind of thing that Thranduil would want. Wouldn't he, though? Didn't you his think? father oh, well, die yeah. because he was insufficiently armed? That's true. Right? Um, well, that would be interesting. That would be very interesting. Yeah. Um, now, 
that would be that would be that would be a spoiler for a future you know plot line. We don't want to obviously go into. De- Let me reminisce about the ba- the Battle of the Last Alliance. Yeah, battle no, no, of, right. Of Lad, but Tony right? does make the point of Sauron would have already declared himself by this time. Right. Right. So yeah. why not be preparing for future trouble? And that is going to be kind of, that is going to be an element right in these discussions that they're going to be having. And this could be one of the primary points that Bard and Mrs. Bard, we haven't named her yet, but I'll leave that to the discussion board folks. Um, that's one of the things that, that Mr. And Mrs. Bard are going to be emphasizing, right? Is not just, Hey, wouldn't it be nice to patch up our old differences, but uh there are other issues, right? We need to think about the future and we need to join together. We can't have the dwarves and elves not working together here. I can actually hear Nick's voice saying, Oh, the last Alliance. You don't want to spoil. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So Nick, I was thinking we'll have a flashback to that too. Right. Let's just, um, yeah. Anyhow. So, um, so it could, and it could be a combination. I mean, or it could be, you know, weapons and gems or I don't know, but yeah. You yes. guys can figure that out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. yeah. No, that, that makes Look, sense. I think but... that's a really good point. The issue being passes through Mirkwood, and then there would be some kind of negotiation. Yep. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. I like that. I like that. Okay. Um, oh, yeah. Course... Marie says, I like that. So yes. She likes the parallel of the threat of Angband looming over the Noldor. We have the threat of Mordor looming over Bard. I think that's great. Yes. Or as yes. Randall. Okay. Um, the idea of that them needing to come together in order to oppose the common mm-hmm. enemy. So we have mm-hmm. a parallel with, you know, one of the storylines of, of the season. Yep. Yep. Okay. So. Now, Thranduil. Okay. Are we going to do the long blonde hair and all that stuff? The the eyebrows, the, you know, Lee Pace and <laughs> we blah, can't blah, blah. Do that. I mean, seriously, how no. could we attempt to approach the eyebrows? Do we uh, know he was blonde? I mean, the Cinderin. So he's Cinderin. Are they're fair, right? Are they fair? I know Elrond's not fair, but he's not Cinderin, is he? Uh, let's see. Um, <laughs> I was going to say Marie. He's blind in the Hobbit. Now wait a minute. Oh, she meant blonde. Okay, blonde. so in the Hobbit, yeah. he's blonde. Okay, yeah. all right. Yeah, yeah. That's what I thought, Chris. I thought the Cinderin and Teleri were normally dark, dark. Uh, dark haired it would be fun actually to have legless be dark haired people would you know people would be like their brains would explode (laughs) just what we're looking for but yeah well i mean it would be such a nice departure from you know leggy in the movies yes yes uh that's uh not a bad thing at all um just a reminder that this is you know not granted we can do all this with wigs so i don't necessarily think that hair color is going to (laughs) determine you come up with for cast no not necessarily um now i would think in terms of well any elves would be this way right we've already talked about this you know willowy type folk right graceful agile good dancers you know like uh what's his name that played uh wolverine he's a great dancer um i'm not saying he should be well he might be he would make an interesting thranduil actually Why, why am i forgetting his name guys hugh hugh jackman that's right yeah um Hmm. And I actually liked, I hate to say this, but I did like Billy Connolly's Diane in the Hobbit movies. 
the red hair and the Scottish accent. That was pretty good. I like that. So we decided we weren't doing Scottish accents for dwarves. Did we? Did yeah, we, we did. I'm sorry. We, I think I'm pretty sure we did. We could do like um, like they have in Lotro now in the Iron Hills. They're like uh, Eastern European type. Right. Right. Um. Yeah. Okay. Hang on. One thing at a time. Can, I don't, I, oh, Antonio Banderas. Oh my gosh, he'd be a great Thranduil. <laughs> Hang on. We don't have to have specific uh, the suggestions. I'm <laughs> I'm willing to leave to the people. <laughs> but just... actually, to that point, that actually makes a really good point, which is uh, you know Antonio. But I mean, we don't. I, I keep thinking white Anglo-Saxon Protestant type because that's yeah. my brain. But we need to like expand out. It doesn't have to be Scandinavian. It doesn't have to be. Caucasian. I mean, we have, we can go broader. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Definitely. Um, and there's no reason that we, I mean, there's this even less reason that we can't do that with the elves of Mirkwood. Um, yep. Now, yep. do we want to show a racial distinction between Legolas and Thranduil and the rest uh, of the elves of Mirkwood? That's an interesting question. Because there is, right? So the elves of Mirkwood will look more like Keebler elves. <laughs> No, <laughs> that's not what I was thinking. In fact, uh, I want you to admire the fact that I did not start laughing right away. I actually made you stop. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I besides, agree. I that's Bobway's clan, and everybody knows it. That's um, right. That's right. Uh, yeah. But they, I, I do think they're probably shorter. I mean, and also, yeah, they're the wood elves. So it would be like, what would be the characteristics that would make them succeed in their environment? You know, the coloring and all that stuff would be, you know, and size wise would be, they could camouflage easily in the, in the woods. And... Right. Um... Actually, Tony, Bobway is now my, uh, he's now my, uh, uh, Vault elf in Lotro. The poor guy just stands at my house and just accepts stuff from everybody else. So that's it. Um, it is well. It is more of a costume choice, but I also think coloration. Although again, coloration and hair you can do with with makeup, but um, well, actually height can too. But yeah, um, I would you know I would love to see a little bit more. Of, I don't mean a super dark skin elf, but a darker skinned elf. You know, I mean, yeah, all these totally skin white. And I'd like to see a little bit more. No, I'm not advocating for blackface neck. That's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but tanned, you know, yeah. So mixed with tanned, like tanned hair, you know, tanned skin. Tan, you know. Um, oh, yeah. It, Bray's talking about like tree bark imagery type thing. Dark hair. Um, things that would evoke that woods feel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Tony, having Sylvan elves look more like Native ah, Americans, for instance, I'd be fine with that's that. That's interesting. That's really interesting. That. Yeah. Um, especially it's not Pocahontas and Disney, okay, please? <laughs> okay, so we won't cast cartoon Pocahontas. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, anyway, okay. But I do think, yeah, I do think you guys should talk about that idea of like something Native American or some mm-hmm. other kind of mm-hmm. ethnic mm-hmm. Uh, wood folk kind of thing. I think that'd be really interesting. Agreed. Agreed. Who should we cast as the raven? 
<laughs> no idea what characteristics to suggest. I totally think that Roach, son of Kark, should still be around, and uh, yeah. and maybe yeah. we should have a younger Raven, like the heir of Roach. Uh, you know who? Um, I was um, thinking Roach should give a toast. Oh, is the thrush going to come? Is the thrush going to come? Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> they'd invite him, obviously, right? Roach would invite him, even if nobody else did. Um. Yeah, no, talking ravens. Roach, son of Roach. Roach. Son of Roach. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Okay. So, 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 da- absolutely yes on the talking ravens. Um, uh, and, and the only thing that I stipulate is that if we have talking ravens, he needs to deliver at least one like snarky rebuke at some point during the <laughs> discussions. I like, agree. You know, I do not call this, uh, this, uh, uh, the, you know, this advice good. Like that's, um, yeah. Yeah. By the way, is this the first time we're, this is the first time we've cast dwarves, right? Is this the first casting? No, for we dwarves? had Norn last season. Oh, that's right. We did. Okay. Yeah. We right. had Norn last season. And did we do Telkar last season or did we not do Telkar yet? And as a call. Yeah. We did. Azekar oh, and as a Okay. And Telkar. Okay. Okay. Anyway, all right. So, um, Thrin, do, do we make progress? We need, uh, so apart from the hair color question, which, as you say, can be a wig issue, so that's not necessarily determining. Um, what would we want Thranduil to look like? I, I would not want him. To, I, I think Thranduil should look kind of weak. Um, you know, I think he should have a, I don't think he's a strong character. I think that Legolas can look stronger than he is, uh, mm-hmm. cause I think that Legolas may be stronger than he is. Um, but I, I think that he should look kind of wussy, you know? Well, and his sternness could be the, yeah, the sternness of a weak person. Yes. You know. Yes. Um, yes. The sternness of a weak person, the haughtiness of uh, of uh, a, 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 you know, someone with low self confidence. You know. Right. Uh, right. Uh, I mean, I, I don't. I don't see Thranduil as a strong character. I don't think we need to make him a strong character. Um, is what does Thranduil accomplish in the history of his life? Like. He, well, takes I mean, you part, got, he takes successful part in the battle under the trees. But I mean, like, seriously, does he ever do or accomplish anything? Well, and think about it. Why would a Cinderin choose to lord it over a quote unquote lesser, at least in a Cinderin's view, group of elves? Right. I mean, he, he's not even with his own. Fo- I mean, I'm agreeing with you is what I'm doing. I'm, yeah. He's not he, he's not even with his own folk. He's like a big fish in a little pond kind of thing. You know, like there's. It's a little bit of a Galadriel, what Galadriel might have been if she had gone down the road she was going down. You know, he's got his little kingdom, but it's not of any kind of real noble stature. Let's cast Mark Gaddis as Thranduil. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. um... (laughs) Like a British lord in India. Now, Hakan is onto something there. Like, Like the British Raj type people, you know. That's a good, good analogy, I think. Well, 
Nick, I think if we're opening up the question as to why Galadriel is doing the same thing, that's good. Why is Galadriel doing the same thing, right? Um, what are the reasons why someone would do this? And I think there may be several reasons, and I think that some of them might not be reputable, right? Right. Uh, but anyway, no, I mean, we, we can make Thranduil. I mean, if people are insistent that Thranduil will be awesome and a great leader, we can do that. I just don't see any evidence for it. Like, what does he accomplish? Why does he need to be strong? What is he? I mean, he's, he's, everything that I see Thranduil doing in The Hobbit and almost everything I hear, the, again, the only time that I can remember that Thranduil does something significant um you know, apart from, I guess, participating in the Battle of Five Armies, um, is the, like, when he, in, when, when he, like, helps to win part of the battle in Mirkwood, you know, during the War of the Ring. I mean, he's isolationist. He is venial. Uh, he goes, uh, it goes after treasure. He brings an army to loot the mountain. Yeah. It's not good. It's not a good look. Like almost every positive, like active choice that he makes, is like at least not great. You know, I'm not saying it's all bad. I'm not saying we need to make him a cartoonish villain or or uh, that we make him an object of ridicule. Um, But I'm just. Do we have? Did he fight? Do we know that he fought in the last alliance? I don't know that we know that. Do we? He might have done, but again, did he accomplish anything? I mean, he accomplished yeah. not dying along with his father, but I mean, his father and and the majority of the elves of Mirkwood were killed. Did he escape? How did he escape, right? Did he run away like a chicken? You know, he might have done, right? Maybe he ran screaming from the Battle of the Last Alliance like a coward. I was um, going to say, he could have been at the very rear and kind of kept backing away. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm not necessarily thing. saying that all that has to be. Again, I'm just saying, like, no. I, can, I can literally think of almost nothing that is ever said about Thranduil that leads me to think that he's a good leader or a strong king. I mean, and think about this. What we're talking about is the backstory to help cast the character, you know, get the right person playing this. But, I mean, I just want to, like, understroke my point again. I mean, what I said about him being like Galadriel, I'm saying if Galadriel hadn't repented, right, this could have been. Yeah. Galadriel was, quote unquote, ruling Cinder, but that she, her thing in Lothlorien was different from what she originally envisioned. I think what she originally envisioned is probably pretty much what Thranduil tried to set up for himself in Mirkwood, right? Right. right? And he can still be, you know, a, he can be um, authoritative, but he can be not a admirable elf, you know, yeah. not somebody. He can have the, I mean, we do have to make sure that he's not such a scab that the, like, elves right. of Mirkwood don't chuck him out, right? I mean, like, there has to be some reason that the elves of Mirkwood follow him. Uh, and so, I guess he could be the elvish Denethor, but before Denethor went crazy. I mean, right. I well, wouldn't want him but to see, be. Denethor's a really strong character. I, I mean, well, like, true. he's yeah. a really strong no, personality right. and a powerful character. True. No. Right. I don't really I can't really think of a parallel, which I kind of like the fact that I can't think of a parallel because it's like, let's show some, you know, somebody here who's a, you know, kind of a key character who's not necessarily he's not evil, but he's not like tip top, perfect, wonderful, awesome no, hero. Material. I don't think. Yeah. He, it's, yeah. Like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm not making an argument for um, uh, caricature here. You know, because no. um, I agree, we don't want to, we don't want to, like, leave it so that everyone doesn't, nobody sees what the elves of Merc would see in this guy. Um, right. But 
I, but I, I don't, yeah, I, don't I don't think he needs to be, I don't think he needs to be admirable. Um, okay. All right. So that, I th- yeah, I think that's enough. I, like I said, I, I think, so you are getting where we're kind of heading with this. Yeah. And so the thing is to, you know, get an actor who has that. Yeah. You know, so of- Legolas, Legolas should be stronger, should be a better character. Um, I, Legolas is just going to be challenging because we will have the ghost of Orlando Bloom looming, looming over every nominee for the character of Legolas. Um, apart from that, um, uh, you know, I... Yeah, um, wait till we get to Aragorn if you think that's bad. Wait, what'd you say? Oh, we did Aragorn. Did we, we haven't done adult Aragorn yet, have we? No. Yeah, so I was going to say, you think Leggy's bad, wait until we get to Aragorn. (laughs) Right, Right, exactly. I don't think we want... Legolas is presumably going to be old enough that he doesn't need to actually look young. He can look the same as Mm -hmm. he's going to look in the Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. Um, We certainly would want to... I think we would definitely want to do that in order to make sure to convey, you know, a difference in the scope there. Um... Hakan suggests let's cast Orlando oh, Bloom as Thranduil. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> I love it. Actually, that's not a bad, you know, given that's, the characters who we just thought, I could totally see Orlando Bloom. Kind of Bloom a genius Bloom. idea, actually. Yeah. That's kind of yeah. a genius idea. Um, uh, anyway, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Anyway, oh, that's funny. Um, uh, do we Have we cast Kelborn's sister? We haven't done mm-hmm. that yet. Oh, we haven't. Do we? Have we? Yeah, no, we haven't. Um, uh, well, so physical characteristics of Legolas, I'm not really sure. I like the idea of having him be darker um, to create a contrast between him and the image of Legolas that everyone is going to be expecting. Um, we have cast Celeborn. Like Celeborn, then. I mean, let's 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 make them recognizably, you know, somewhere in Celeborn's neighborhood, then. Um, yeah, I don't have strong opinions about Legolas, which is might seem strange, but I don't really have strong opinions about Legolas. Um, how tall should he be? He shouldn't be really tall. We always care about height when we're casting characters because height uh, always has such an important symbolic significance in Tolkien, almost always. Um, uh, What if I I would be fine with Legolas being taller than his father? Um. But I don't think he should be... I think that Aragorn should be taller than Legolas. Um, though I'd be fine with Boromir not being taller. But we can get to Boromir later on. Um, shorter than Aragorn, taller than Gandalf. Yep. Yep. I could see that. Um, taller than Thranduil. That might be actually a really interesting way to convey sort of the implication of like if if Thranduil is short, he just sort of stands out as being short. 
Um, you know, I, I, I'm not saying like feet shorter. I'm just saying inches shorter uh, than the other elves around him. Um, yeah. Okay. And we talked about the men. We talked about the raven. Hey, look, we're almost done. We haven't cast Gandalf. We've never cast Gandalf. Gandalf has not been casted. Oh, man. Okay. We cast a Lauren. We didn't cast Gandalf. Right. Um... Hmm, okay. Yeah, we cast a Lauren in season one. I don't think we've cast Orifer yet, William. Um, I think we will do that later. Uh, but we haven't gotten to Orifer yet. We keep threatening to bring him in, but we haven't yet. Um, yeah, so Tony's thinking we just do the same actor in very different dress and makeup as Gandalf and Lauren. That kind of works for me. Um, no, you don't want that, Hakon. If I mean, I I mean, I get the thing about like indicating the incarnation in the new uh, body. Uh, he was young. We cast a Lauren as somebody really young. I'm totally. Done. I have no memory of this at all. Absolutely no memory of that. Um, okay. That was interesting. Then no. All right. I guess we're not doing that. Um, Gandalf certainly can't be too young. Um, are you sure we didn't cast Gandalf? Didn't we cast... Didn't, wasn't Gandalf involved? Really? We didn't cast Gandalf? I really thought we had. Well, anyway... Um, He's in the frame, but we didn't cast him? Okay. All right. I was pretty sure we talked about Gandalf. Well, all right, whatever. Um, Balin. Balin is old, right? He's old. So <clears throat> that's number one thing. Um, and Dan is younger, but pretty old. We're going to have Deese coming in. We said that. She should also be fairly senior. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, he was there when Thorne and Company came through Rivendell, Phil. I, I do think that's when he got into the uh, season one frame. Yeah. Yeah. It was a very, very slight thing. Okay. So did we talk about, so remind me what we talked about last season when we did dwarves for the first time. I remember saying we were not going to have them have Scottish accents. Uh, apart from that, how did we decide? I remember we were talking about the different clans of dwarves. Did we even get to the long beards? I mean, we were primarily focusing on, you know, the broad beams. You know, we were talking about the, you know, Nagrod and Belagost. Um, did we even talk about them? Um did we even talk about the uh, the the long beards really? Because um, we did give each house a particular look. Yeah, well, Marie, they're the ones with the Scandinavian names. 
But that's just because they live near the people with the Scandinavian language, right? Um, Bowen does have to be believable as the guy in The Hobbit, but he doesn't mean he can't be old. He just has to still have good eyes, <laughs> right? Because he's the lookout man. Uh, apart from that, there's nothing, I think, that would restrict his role in The Hobbit. Um, yeah. Um, okay. Well, Gandalf, I don't know. I mean, I feel like Gandalf is one of the characters in Tolkien's works who gets... I think Gandalf gets as much physical description as anybody that we know of, right? I mean, I think it seems to me it would be a fairly short list of characters whose face and facial features and things received more description than Gandalf's. Um, so I think you guys kind of know what to do with Gandalf here. Um, yeah. Uh, the dwarves of Moria. So apart from the fact that they have really long beards, what do we know about them? How do we want to do the long beards? And it's hard also because they are going to be the most typical dwarves of all of the... Um, the most typical dwarves of all of the dwarves. I mean, like, mostly when you meet dwarves in the Third Age, you're meeting longbeards, right? Um, the hob like When you ask a hobbit about dwarves, they'll picture longbeards, right? Because those are the ones passing through down the dwarf road. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, hmm. Would they incorporate... Refugees of other clans, likely, Tony, likely, I think. It's not impossible that we could have, make visual references to that, right? Have folks that are obviously, um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. No, we can do that. Um, especially in the Blue Mountains, Hakan, you're right. Um, ooh, you know what I just realized? The Blue Mountains, right? The Blue Mountains in the Third Age, and Second Age, for that matter, it's like the Dwarvish Refugee Center. It's like where all the dwarves who have lost their ancestral homes go to establish this new sort of ancestral home in the Blue Mountains, right? Nograd and Belagost are gone. Then Moria is gone. Then even the, then even Erebor is gone, right? And now they're all together there in the Lonely Mountains, just like the Petty Dwarves, right? So we're going to have there a recapitulation of the Petty Dwarf story, right? Which is kind of fun, just saying, I don't know what I want to do with that or if we can afford to do anything, but that parallel just sort of suddenly occurred to me what we were kind of setting up there and thinking about the Blue Mountains the way that we were. <coughs> yeah, the irony is kind of uh, sharp, kind of cutting 
there, Hakan, isn't it? Kind of, kind of hard not to draw attention to that, in some way. Um, hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if there's anything that we can do with that. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what we want to do with um, the long beards. Why don't you guys, let's come back to that. Why don't you, because this is not just a character question. Um, I mean, thinking about the characters for a second, Balin is the friendliest of the dwarves. Like, he is the one who is nicest to Bilbo and who reaches out to him most uh, of all of Thorin's company, right? Um, So I think that Balin should be, you know, like the nicest, the friendliest uh, of all of the dwarves. Um, He should have a sort of smiling face. Um, his tragic end, of course, will be like the more poignant uh, when we imagine the smiling face uh, of Balin, son of Fundin. Um, so yeah, I would want, I would want to, I would. He's old, but I want to, I want a face with with like lots of smile lines, right? Is what I'd be looking for in in Balin. Um, in Dan, I have much less. Uh, of a visual picture of Dan or, or a sense of his personality really at all. Um, <clears throat> he, I mean, what do we know about him? We know he was loyal. We know he's a good King. We know that he is, uh, he immediately reverses Thorin's worst policies, right? He immediately comes in and becomes generous as King, right? And sort of does things well and does things right. Um, but I think that he should still be. Hmm, what is he on the? What is? How is he on the grudge meter against the elves? Because he suffered less personally. He's not going to forget the slight to his kin, right? Um, he will hold a grudge for Thorin. Um, yeah, Ruth, I think Balin should be a little bit like everybody's favorite granddad. Uh, yeah, that works for me. Um, there should be something grandfatherly in his demeanor. Yeah, yeah, I'm totally fine with that for Balin. As for Dan, though, um, he has less of a personal grievance. I think the primary sources of personal grievance, Deese is going to be the really interesting character here. She has most to lose. Or she has lost most, I should say. Um, uh, she should be a voice for unreconciliation, right? Um, I think that. What if Dan's just like really silent, right? Thorin, remember, was kind of pompous. Um, you know, his, like, Thorin style on occasions like this, remember, when he does his, like, pompous speeches uh, and his, like, you know, pompous snarkiness at Bilbo in Chapter 1. Um, I'm thinking Dan is not going to be pompous and, and and outspoken and ironic in the way that Thorin was. I'm thinking Dan is very quiet um, yes, he's not a very important dwarf. He doesn't, uh, pray don't mention it, right? That's not a day in line. I'm not, I'm thinking. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. William says the one defining measure feature is his charity, or at least I would say, William, his willingness to give away the treasure, to make use of the treasure in the way that treasure to do with treasure, the way that it's supposed to be. Um, so I would think he would be sort of taciturn, but reliable. Right. Um, Yeah. <clears throat> I don't know if this helps us much with his physical appearance, uh, with casting him, but maybe this helps some. Um, uh, certainly nobody, you know, whose face is all light, bright, and sparkling. Um, okay, all right, this gives us something. And then we already cast Bilbo. Deese, what should Deese look like? Stern. Very stern. Matriarchally stern um everybody should be a little bit afraid of dees even dan should be a little bit afraid of dees i think um severe she should be severe yes um Kelleborn's sister Kelleborn's sister is a green elf. She's sort of firm and reserved. Um, yeah, no, William, we haven't cast Feely and Keely, which is fine because they're dead. We don't need them yet. Um, but no, we've never cast Feely and Keely. Um, Kelborn's sister. She is the semi-leader of the Green Elves, spokesperson for the Green Elves in their isolationist phase. Does she talk like ever? I'm not sure if she does. Very rarely. Tony wants her to be like a beautiful woods witch. I would be okay with her being very beautiful. Um, mild but stern. Yeah, she has to be stern. Maybe a little bit off-putting. Mysterious. Green elves are kind of mysterious. Right? Yeah. Um, not... Yeah, not Dees level of stern. No, stern. Dees is like terrifying, right? Um, she's intimidating. Yeah, Tony wants her to be kind of like a prophetess. Okay, something like that. I mean, not mystical, right? Not um, uh, very slow to speak. <laughs> so, so Nick, this is going to be awesome for dialogue, right? Let's put uh, Kelborn's sister and Dan and Dees all in a room. And have them all not talk to each other. Uh, this will be great. Um, what if Dan is surprisingly gentle when he does talk? That'd be kind of interesting, wouldn't it? That would be kind of interesting. 
Yeah, Tony, have uh, Kelborn's sister be kind of Mandos, like play the Mandos role in the Elvish group, the one who very rarely speaks, but when she does speak, she sort of makes a pronouncement, you know. Um, yeah, I kind of like that. I kind of like that concept of her role there. That's I think that's sort of what I was thinking. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Let's have Dan be sort of kindly and soft-spoken. Um, yeah, mild-mannered. Avuncular, not in like a, a familiar sense, right? I don't think like, you know, he shouldn't be necessarily somebody that you... I think that he should look kind of intimidating... But be someone who, like, when he actually opens his mouth and talks, you're sort of like, oh, well, he's kind of nice, actually, right? Um, he would be an interesting opposite to Bard, right, who looks gruff and is gruff, right? And then there's Dan who looks gruff and isn't. Um, yeah, yeah. Now, uh, it's funny, throughout show today people have been suggesting characters or 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 people and i've been familiar with almost none of them um a couple but very few uh i don't i haven't watched game of thrones yet so there's a large number of game of thrones characters have been suggested as like examples of the kind of thing i'm talking about um i haven't watched game of thrones yet i'm waiting for it to be done when it's done i'm going to watch it all the way through that'll be a, a future project but i i i, I haven't done it yet um, so I have no idea. I have no idea who most of the people are that you're suggesting. Um, uh, yeah. So, so Dan is, um, yeah, sort of quiet and soft spoken. Um, uh, yeah. William says that could make his ferociousness in battle the more surprising. Yeah. Yeah. Have him be an absolute terror in battle. Um, but like gently, gentle and, 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 and soft-spoken. Love it. I love that. Uh, that's a good, um, I mean, his name is Ironfoot for crying out loud, right? He has gotten the nickname Ironfoot from, from his youth. Uh, and yet to have him be sort of gentle and soft-spoken. Uh, I think of the line, we get so few of his lines, right? But I think of the line that is attributed to him after he, <clears throat> after the battle of, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, Battle of as an Arbol um, is uh, I, I can really hear that being delivered in like a soft, you know, sort of gentle voice as he's like, you know, I'm the only one who's looked into Moria. And yeah, um, yeah, I like it. I like it. I, I, I love that concept. OK. Um, so the bad news is that we only talked about one slide today. The good news is this is a thing we've been needing to work on for a while. We have, utter, uh, apart from when we agreed on the concept of the frame way back when, we have utterly neglected it. Um, I think this is the perfect time to return to it, frankly, because having now worked out more, we have a, a much clearer sense of what the themes of the, um, what the themes of the season are, right, and what's going on in the season. So now, kind of coming back to the to the, to the frame, we're now really prepared to kind of think that through uh, in some 
uh, in some interesting ways. Um, and it will make it easier in the future to be looking at some specific frame suggestions and how we want to map the frame across the 13 episodes. Uh, so we didn't accomplish everything that we set out to accomplish today, but we, we did do some good things. Uh, so that's, uh, so that's really good. Next time, I'm not 100% sure what we're going to do. Are we going to go on and discuss some of the other creative things uh, that we didn't get to today? Are we going to go ahead and do episode, do a couple episodes and come back to this? I'm not sure. We'll see what you guys want us to do. Um, uh, make your opinion heard on this subject on the discussion boards, and we'll see what happens. Um, so uh, anyway, we'll figure that out for next time. What I do know is that Next time will be, we're back on the regular schedule now. So next time will be the beginning of May. So May 3rd uh, will be, Friday, May 3rd will be our next time. Um, I won't be around next week anyway. I'm going to Iceland next week uh, uh, with my family. It's a family vacation, our big family vacation this year. We're going to Iceland. Very excited. Uh, so uh, I'm going to have fun there. And then I'll be back the week after and uh, we will move forward with whatever we're going to move forward with. So um, uh, thanks everybody uh, for joining us. Thanks for a lovely discussion here today. I think we did a lot of good things and made a lot of progress. Uh, and uh, I got to have a little fight with Nick about spoilers and everything. It's been a good day, right? So, thanks everybody. Thanks for coming. Uh, thanks for listening and Godspeed.